This is Kerry Uridine, and you're listening to Normandy FM Cyberpunk 2077 Retrospective. Welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, completely curricular, we haven't done that one in a while, mm-hmm. <laughs> Normandy <laughs> FM episode for Cyberpunk 2077. As always, one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. How you doing, Ken? I'm um, good. I got out of bed like 20 minutes ago. Uh, we're, we're living that weekend life here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about relaxing. It's about resting, recuperating from the work week, you know? That, that I haven't been working. Work I've been week. sick the entire week. So, well, your body's been working. You know, mm. it's, well, it's, al- it's also very time. hot too. So, mm. oh god, god, it's so freaking hot. <laughs> oh, joining us for this episode, the one, the only, David Roberts. David, how you doing? <laughs> uh, good. Uh, I don't know why I'm here. I don't write about video games anymore. Uh, <laughs> I still talk you about them about occasionally. Them, yeah. Yes, this is true, but. Uh, a middling games critic turned uh, normal person copywriter. Uh, but no, I've known these guys forever. So Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, extended Normandy FM lore. I think you're probably mm-hmm. like... <laughs> no, we had, J- we had Jay Malone on in the Mass Effect season. But I was say, like, you oh, are nice. one of the furthest back mm-hmm. of people in terms of, like, how long we've known them. Like, yes. you, you date back to our origin story. Like, we met right, at the right. site that Eric yeah. and I met at. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I was on my way out because i had just started writing professionally when you guys both mm. kind of came in and we were did a few podcasts together uh worked together and yeah we got to hang out at a psx expo once which was a lot oh, of fun yeah, yeah 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 um so that was when they announced a bunch of yakuza games so that was yeah that was, was that, that was, a fun time. That was yeah. like 2016 i yeah, think was, yeah. was that yeah. the one that was in anaheim yeah yeah it was when like they announced the, last with part two yeah, yeah. yeah oh God, the man. one where you like almost ripped my arm out of its socket <laughs> while we were watching a stage <laughs> show. <laughs> we're standing there watching the reveal of this Last of Us game, and Ken is just like grabbing onto me for like emotional support, and I just continue <laughs> feeling like this tug on my arm, and I expect to look down and see like him holding onto it like like a small baby chimpanzee, like just gripping onto this thing hanging off of it. Um. Yeah, no, that was that was a good time. I yeah, you know what? Bold, bold statement here. Hot take. I kind of miss PlayStation experience. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it was all that bad of a show. I thought it was no, pretty all right. it it was fun. It was focused. Like there's plenty of ways to get actually get hands on with the games without a huge mm-hmm. line. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. So like Sony felt like they had kind of a soul still and then mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and then and then andrew house left and jim ryan took over and 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 suddenly it's just like 
I don't know, man. He's Very hating on. Suit. He's ha- yeah. He's ha- he's hating on like old Gran Turismo games for some reason. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. But uh, yeah, no, I miss it. It was like, yeah, like, like what people thought E three was if they got mm-hmm. to go. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the the big grand delusion that happened with the public E three was that people thought they were going to get in and get that like insider. Uh, scoop you know go and check out all these games and what they got was really probably closer to packs where you're waiting in long lines for these big games that are being demoed by everybody whereas like psx for for as small as it was i think that was to its own benefit and it played it up that well where it, it was like here are just the games that we have there's not long lines anywhere like you were saying but also like it was somewhere between fan focused and media focused, and I, I feel like it managed that balance really well. Yeah. So, but yeah, Windjammers was there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the classic. We're not here to talk about old games media days, though. <laughs> a long we are here age. to talk about Windjammers, though, right? Oh, was, yeah, uh, no, that's, this is, that's what I was told. Mm, this mm-hmm. is now Windjammers oh, podcast. Oh, yep, retrospective uh, of Windjammers. <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Right. And David, give me some of your history on Cyberpunk and, and how you kind of first got to this game and, and what your kind of takeaways were. Yeah, I, f- I feel like my kind of entire career in games writing was like encompassed, but like in between the initial reveal of this game and its release. It's like, because I remember them like talking about how they were making this game, like, was it 2012? Mm. it was just yeah like witcher 3 wasn't even out yet Uh and then and then yeah they're like oh yeah we're we're gonna make a cyberpunk game i was like okay well maybe finish the game you guys are working on first (laughs) uh and then yeah then witcher 3 came out which just like you know exploded them into popularity so cyberpunk just became this like thing that suddenly people were like laser focused on uh, and then, yeah, over time, I just, like, it was always on the periphery, you know, like covering it, it was, it was huge. It always did numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Especially once they started showing off like hands-on footage and started doing like dev diaries and stuff. Uh, but I don't know, something always seemed kind of off, especially mm-hmm. like their marketing mm-hmm. it was real gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Which like, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit with one of the things that we're talking about here, but yeah, the gross marketing and just like a, a a comical amount of delays, mm. <laughs> to the point that like when it came out, I was just like, you know what, I'm just not gonna touch it. I'm mm. like, I, at that point, I wasn't writing about games anymore. I could afford to like not be part of the conversation. Uh, so I was just like, no, uh, I know how CD Projekt like how this goes. Like these games always release broken. And it takes them months mm-hmm. to fix. Like yeah. like I think a lot of people forget that like The Witcher Three. Uh, what like it took a month for that game to get like at least like not as broken as as it was. It was nowhere near as broken as Cyberpunk mm. was, but it was still like like movement in that game was not fixed until the second full expansion uh, for that game. So I think like the story of that game really like got people over that hump of like actually playing it. Yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah, like. Yeah. But with Cyberpunk, uh, on our podcast, I know Susan picked it up because she was just interested in it. She hadn't really been following all the marketing. And she was just like, I just wanted, like, a cool RPG to play. <laughs> and, she, yeah, it, well, and, the, like, her takeaway was, like, yeah, if you're not expecting the world, it's, like, it's janky. It's broken. It, it's no more broken than, like, 
an Elder Scrolls game. Maybe, maybe more so, but it's still like it's it's of that design, and you know she loves playing like Bethesda games, so it's like she could put up with that, and it's like you'll have a fine time if you temper your expectations. So I was like, okay, well, that's when all of the like really weird stuff started happening where it started getting delisted from the PS4 mm-hmm. and it was just mm-hmm. like patch after patch after. So it was like, I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait till all of this quiets down. And it wasn't until I think I got, so I got my steam deck, uh, back in April. And I was like, I want to, I want to see what this thing can do. You know, I want to like, I want to see if this thing can play like actual video games. Right. Right. Cyberpunk was on sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like this is a month or so after like the patches where they're like we fixed the game kind of mostly uh, so it's like I'll fine like this is the time I'm gonna jump in and play it and I don't think it's a good game <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of it that I like mm-hmm. there's a lot of it that I think that it does really like there, there's enough in there that like that reminds you like, oh yeah, the people who made The Witcher 3 made this game, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there, there, there are definitely moments in it. Uh, and I don't know, I'm, I feel like I'm just naturally drawn to hot messes of games. Like I just love mm-hmm. games mm-hmm. that try to take chances, maybe don't always succeed. Uh, like I, in, in putting together some of my notes for this game, I was reminded of when I played like Disaster Report as a kid. Oh, and that yeah, game, yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's a, it's it it's buggy as hell. It's broken, but the ideas that it's trying to convey is of you like surviving in this world is like there's just nothing else like it. And so I think that there is something to cyberpunk that I like. I feel like weirdly drawn to, even as like it tries to do so many things and fails at doing a lot of those <laughs> things. Uh, but yeah, that was me. I was just, I was kind of like, I was, I was just playing it and I finished it. I was like, yeah, you know, divorced from all the, the hype and the marketing and just like all of the weird stuff. There's just, there is something here. You just have to kind of look for it or at least not expect some amazing transcendent experience, I guess. And that's when Ken hit me up. He was like, Hey, we're doing a podcast about cyberpunk. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk about this game. There's cause there, there is a lot to talk about. Um, you know, what it does well, what it doesn't do well, the things that it tries to do well. And um, I don't know, like the things that it does well are not the things that they market it at all. Right. Yeah, so. I think the, the way I've been talking to people about it, because I actually um, was recently talking to some some friends about this who've been playing Cyberpunk as well. And I said, it's not, I don't necessarily think it is a good game. I think I, I'm starting to solidify feelings about it now that we are in, you know, episode seven of this retrospective. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's a good game. It is a fascinating game, though. Oh, yeah. It is mm. incredibly interesting to pick apart. I, I think it has failings, but those failings are very interesting. And I'll at least say more interesting than, like, I bounce off this game for for reasons that are more interesting than the reasons I bounce off of like far cry, you know, I don't, I don't Mm. dig far cry because it just feels 
very very samey very you know we we taco belled together this video game for you <laughs> yeah. using the same ingredients you've always known and loved from ubisoft yeah, the, games like, yeah the, the charts here say that player engagement drops off around this point so we need to feed in this thing to make yeah play yeah like you know, it's all just focused as to hell and like part of the ubisoft design too is like just because they have so many different studios that all do some little aspect of every game that just Mm -hmm. by that very nature you are making games that you can just like fit their work into other stuff which is why like like the joke is that every like every ubisoft game after assassin's creed 3 or whatever you were climbing towers to open up bits of a map right like that Mm -hmm. it all Mm -hmm. like like cyberpunk is borrowing a lot from other games. Like the, there, there is no Cyberpunk without Grand Theft Auto or Deus Ex, and it's trying to do all of these different things, and it does a lot of those things very poorly. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think that there, at one point or another, there was a vision for what this game was supposed mm. to be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. I don't know whether like it's it's I just I want I wish I could be like a fly on the wall during like design meetings as they're like trying to figure this thing out and like trying to schedule out the like oh like no like if we if if we release in 2021 or whatever like we're not ready like what do we cut how do we how do we get our vision into this thing that works and is out the door because we're spending way too long making it um yeah yeah like there are quest lines in here that like you like there's no way they would fly anything else you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so let's let's get to talking a little bit about some of these quests because we have a few we have a few today we we have the the mainline missions that we were going to talk about which is um serve as both an introduction to rogue and to pan am uh as part of the main storyline of of this video game but we also wanted to talk about a certain side quest line uh in this episode uh was this one that i forget david was this one that you wanted to specifically talk about yeah the racing one yeah largely because and again it's one of those elements where it's like this is the game signifying that it's going to do something that is like every other game right mm-hmm. and then i was gonna ignore it to be honest, like I was at a point where I was just like, uh, okay, no, I'm not going to do your racing side missions. The, mm-hmm. this, like your driving in this game is bad. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And then the, the main story in this game is very short. Like you, you hit that like point of no, like if you're just focusing on main story quest, you hit that point of no return real fast. And I realized I had all of these side quests that I hadn't even touched yet. And I think it was like in waiting for one of Judy's missions because you have like you have to wait a day. There's no mm. like, there's no marker in the game to tell you like when the next quest is gonna come up. It's just wait. So I was like, well, okay, well I'll I'll try this racing mission out. And I was surprised to find like a lot of depth and drama and pathos in something that like. Any other game, any other like open world game that was trying to like mimic Grand Theft Auto would have just treated as like, here's some throwaway missions you can race to get some money and maybe a new car, you know. Mm. It, it works as like a microcosm of I think the game's biggest problem in that like it tries to do a lot with 
you know, all these different mechanics that it brings in while also, like, using that as a thing to prop up some actually, like, pretty decent character writing and storytelling, which makes it, like, miserable to maybe get through, but, you know, the end bits are, are worth it, largely, in my opinion. It's one of the few times in the game where I feel like that actually pays off, too. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, so much of mission design in this game, uh, there's one particular Judy mission that I'm that I remember distinctly because the first time that I played it through on my, like on my Corpo playthrough, um, the game bugged out on me. So mm-hmm. like there, there's just like a point where like you're supposed to go down into the bottom of this basement. Cause you're looking for, um, Evelyn mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and like, like you get to the bottom and Judy's like, okay, I'm going to meet you there. And then she gets to the staircase and she just didn't move. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> stuck yeah. there and I'm running around like just killing guards but like the quest isn't moving forward and like my, my most recent save before that was like an hour before mm. or something like that mm-hmm. yeah so it's like well I have to find a way to brute force this quest through uh, and the quest itself was like okay well you need to sneak in because there's guards everywhere but like there's really no benefit to sneaking or even taking guards out like quietly you can just go in with the gun blazing and you'll be fine uh like narratively mechanically it's just it's just this mess like like i remember playing deus ex and like reloading saves if i failed stealth right because i cared that much about because it felt like you're unpacking a puzzle whereas this is just like i don't know you can stealth if you want you can like that stuff doesn't pay off but this this is like the first time where like i felt like like that extra that extra side quest element that they're like clearly borrowing from something else, like actually has like emotional and even if not mechanical payoff then like definitely emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious once we get to the end of this quest line, uh, what some of the branching might look like, but this, this quest line dubbed the beast in me um, is, I will say like very, open world video game like this is something that someone's like we made an open world video game set in a city and i'm like oh, okay so you're gonna have a street racing mission somewhere right like there's a quest <laughs> line about racing through the streets of the city that's very you know grand theft auto it's very sleeping dogs that's you know all, all those games usually have something like this somewhere in there um and the first interesting wrinkle of this is that rather than just some random handler or fixer or whatever that calls us up it's claire from the bar um the bartender at afterlife who calls us up and says hey you've got a reputation uh you know i've heard your name around town uh want to be my driver want to be my racer um no i do not hangs up (laughs) (laughs) all of your cars drive like ice skates no Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh we're we're all talking about the driving in a second don't worry uh we we get to the garage to to meet up with claire and right away like I, I, I'm glad you noted this in your notes, Ken, because I noticed noticed this as well. It almost feels like the quest marker is dropped in a place to intentionally draw your eye to the trans flag mm-hmm. uh, bumper sticker that she has on the beast, uh, which I thought was interesting. Because this is to be clear, I did not ever do this side quest in my normal playthrough because I I read. Oh, racing mission? Nah, I'm good. (laughs) And and bounced out. So this is my first time playing it. I was like, oh, huh. Okay. That's that's interesting. That's there. I even wondered and like uh looked this up later to see if that was like 
a post-patch edition because I was like, I wonder if CD Projekt just like snuck that in there with one of the updates or something. And no, no, it's it's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's just never ran into it because I never did this mission. But um, we find Claire working on the Beast, the massive uh, car destruction machine. Uh, and she tells us about these street races that are done in pairs around the town. Uh, one driver, one gunner. Uh, and the idea basically is that you compete in a race, but you're also allowed to shoot at each other uh, because this is cyberpunk, and that's a thing, I guess. <laughs> um, I always just like the arbitrary rule that's like, oh, yeah, you can also just kill each other if you don't want to like well, I mean, race they, faster. <laughs> I mean, they take some time in some of the conversations later where they go out of the way to try and like justify it. Basically, somebody pays off the NCPD to allow these things to go on, and anything that... um. Any, any deaths that occur are just, like, listed as, you know, a, a regular, like, car accident. Uh, so everyone kind of gets off scot-free and is free to do whatever they want. Well, it, it's it's less like, oh, you know, how do you get away with this? I, they, they write around that in some ways that, again, you know, just make me have more questions about wanting to, like, delve deeper into the NCPD and its roles and, and its corruption and stuff like that. And, uh I, I might go digging into this game to find if there's any side quests related deeply to the NCPD outside of, you know, like I think some of the river stuff goes into that from my memory, but um, I, I would love to, to learn more about that. But it, it was more just like, oh yeah, we're going to have a street race. And then someone in the back is like, what if we could shoot each other too? And, <laughs> it's like, okay. and, and, and no one's like, hold up, wait. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, we're having a lot of fun racing, but you know what would be funner is if we could shoot each other while we're doing it. Um, yep, I'm in, yeah. let's let's go. Uh, <laughs> Give me 80 clips and, uh, and it, it's just someone specialized. just shooting. It's not specialized guns. It's not even, here's the thing that bothered me, okay? If, if we're getting like real right up front, I was really psyched because I was like, oh, the beast, a gunner. Okay, you're going to have like a turret or like a sick harpoon gun on this thing or whatever. And no, it's just Claire leaning out the side of the window with a <laughs> rifle, just like shooting at people. And I was like, oh, this is a bummer. Like, I was hoping for like some Mad Max type shit to be going on here. Like, just pure like metal chaos going on. And instead it was like, oh, we're, we're just driving normal. The game even lets you drive other cars yeah like it's just like oh do you want to drive your car instead of the beast and i never i'm just gonna say up front i never took that option i always took the beast yeah um can you mm, i wonder can you can you ride motorcycles in this probably not probably not i think you have they really want you to to deal with a car that handles like shit (laughs) which is yeah that that is funny because like the motorcycles are the only thing that Mm -hmm. drive well in this game and yeah they're just like nope you don't get that Okay, let's move forward, and then I'm going to ask you all some some probing questions here. Um, So we find out that she's done this before. Claire has raced before, but her old driver uh, died in a wreck a year ago, and and she needs a new one. So we're like, okay, are you capable behind the wheel? And Ken was like, no. And the rest of us were like, yeah. So (laughs) Um, we we have four different races and the first one we go to we have to do a bunch of waiting and and phone calls and stuff again uh but we eventually get to the first race uh and uh there's a bunch of like bystanders and photographers and stuff and this is where we get some of that background info about the ncpd that they're um 
they they turn a blind eye essentially i think there are even parts of this whole situation where you drive by a corner and you'll see some like cordoned off areas that the ncpd have i don't know if that's part of the natural world but i kind of liked it as like oh they're they're practically like onlookers uh, you know spectating this blood sport that's happening in, in multiple times on the streets of night city <laughs> like just straight up racing chaos and people being murdered on the streets of night city and they're like cool yeah whatever vehicle accident we're all good who cares um and we get a shard uh into our head to show us all the sick racing checkpoints we're gonna have to clear <laughs> uh which i I, I like that they wrote around that because I was like, how are you going to write around this? Or are you going to write around this? And they're like, oh, whatever. It's a shard. Cool. Yeah, that works. Yeah. And then we get to your UI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we get to racing. And okay. Number one. And this is the first statement and it is the most important statement. I do agree that the driving in this game is bad. However, number two. I thought these races were easy as shit. Yeah. I never had a problem winning these races. I, I, I just fucking destroyed all these these racers. Like it was nothing. The game had to rubber band the other opponents multiple times. Like I, I'd be so far out that Claire would be like, "Oh, cool. Like we're out of combat. I'm just gonna get back inside the car and chill or whatever." And then I'd see, like, the red arrows behind me just, like, suddenly rubber band forward and Claire would pop back out. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so the game doesn't want it to be that easy, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah. think there was, there was one point, I think, where, like, I hit a wall and, like, maybe ended up in third place. But, like, easily got back into first. Like, once you just get back on the road and you're on and, like, Claire's just shooting everybody else. Anyway... Uh, and I like it, it does feel somewhat emblematic of the rest of the game where like, yeah, there, there are some choke points, especially in the beginning of the game. There's like, uh, that one mission when you're getting the, the, what, oh, what is it called? That big, like robot thing from the gang. And like, de- oh, depending yeah, on, yeah, yeah depending bot. on your choices. Yeah. The spider bot. And depending on your choices, like, like you have to fight the big dude at the end of it. And that one, mm. that was like one of the only spots of the game where I felt like really challenged by combat uh, beyond like just going in and and shooting people. And I feel like that's just kind of the whole game is that there are all of these systems. There's like multiple skill trees and multiple there's crafting and there's all this stuff, but it's like everything else is just so easy that you don't really need to engage with any of it. Yeah. Like every, every turn I just like kind of, slowed and turned into and stuff like that and i found that like most of the enemies in this game it was really easy there's something with the traffic ai in cyberpunk that like it was super easy to just kind of pit maneuver all these dudes and just Mm -hmm. kind of like you know if they were coming up behind you you'd kind of you know make sure you were staying in front of them and not letting them like get a lane on you and then if they tried to come up along the side or whatever, you just kind of like tip them a little bit into a like lamp pole or whatever. And, and that's, <laughs> that's the end of their day. Um, and, and that's what the beast was really good for is it's, it's this giant freaking thing that can also like go pretty fast. I think it was topping out at like 180, and it's, it's fast, but also like massive and gigantic and does not seem to take damage. So I was able to just super easily like, 
slam some people with the car and knock them out of commission for the race. Uh, Claire did not have to do much. No. (laughs) I was mostly... Yeah. Like, they were mostly easy for me as well, but there was one point, I think it was the third one, which is more, and more like a residential mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. which was tougher for yeah, me I because like, guy. yeah, and that was, that was <laughs> my biggest takeaway from all of it. It's like, we had that whole conversation about how like, this game has like this GTA style mechanic of like, you know, you do crime and CBD comes after you, but it always felt like weirdly asynchronous with anything that was actually going on in the game to mess with that shit, to like mm-hmm. bother passersby because like they're not doing anything to you. And so, like, that was just, like, a, a shitty moment for me. It was, like, I don't think I killed anybody, but I, that, my car was not on the road the entire time. And <laughs> I was just, like, this feels, like, really silly and weird and stupid and... I don't know. I, Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. are we doing this? It, but it, that that one is weird, so I want to... I, I think that's a good point to jump forward, because I think the first two missions are very straightforward by the books. Like, first one is just a very basic like race that feels like it's built on a built-in course like it, there were just a lot of straightaways and not doing much on that one and the second one was off-roading and that one was kind of cool because you went into the dust storm and that was maybe like mm. the most thematically interesting of the four races that we have uh was like oh cool check out this dust storm it's hard to see uh the checkpoints are like a little less visible than normal though still very easy to hit all things considered um, but number three, I thought was really interesting because I'll mention that between all of these, we're getting like hints of Claire's backstory, right? We're getting little blips of, oh, you know, this is what I used to do. This is my last driver. I don't really want to talk about it. Um, I forget when we eventually, uh, get her to open up about that. It was her husband, um is it after the second race that she does that third one i believe third one okay so let's jump ahead to the third one then the third one isn't that the one where claire says something about like oh this is like my backyard like i grew up here or whatever like this is this is home to me um she she says something about like oh this is this is my place um we're we're all good here and then we immediately go into a race where, like, we murder somebody on the street. <laughs> and they're, we're literally, like, driving through this neighborhood just slamming each other and shooting at each other. And I'm like, it's really weird to have this character be like, oh, yeah, this is my hometown. Anyways, bullets. Yeah, just, yeah uh, just like I used to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Love the smell of gunfire in the morning. Yeah. Um, it, it was a weird, weird vibe to me. Um, I don't know. Uh, but we do eventually get the history here, which is that Claire's husband was originally uh, her driver. Um, we we get her to actually open up to us a little bit about um, or their relationship and all that. She says that uh, Dean and her were friends before uh, her her transition and which at this point had only really been implied, uh, which I think the way they like dole that information out and wait until V and Claire have gotten to know each other better mm-hmm. and do it very naturally, I think was handled really well. I thought, I thought it was handled surprisingly well. Yeah. The way cyberpunk yeah. usually handles this stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, that's like, I, that's why I brought up the marketing earlier. Cause I remember mm-hmm. like in the lead up to this game, they were making like, Oh, helicopter the... jokes mm. and, yeah and like yeah. all like a lot of the advertising that they were showing off was like like 
kind of transphobic. Like, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm a straight cisgender dude, so this is just my reaction to it. But, like, my impression, like, with the marketing leading up to this game was there's just a lot of stuff being done in poor taste. And their mm-hmm. defense was like, yeah, but it's the future, man. Corpos have taken over everything. This is what it'd be like. It's like, yeah, but, like, you're doing it, like, really cringy and bad, though. <laughs> so, yeah, very uh, edgelord writing, like... Oh yeah. yeah, this is the future, and the future's fucking real. It's in your face, man. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh. yeah it, it, but and then here is just this moment where you are just sharing a conversation with someone, and she's just talking about her loving loving this guy. Yeah, and she transitions, and then like th- first they were friends, and now they're married, and mm-hmm. like it's just an aspect of her life. Like there's no there's no like ha gotcha there's no bad joke it's just it's 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 the kind of thing like I mentioned where you're like right the Witcher three people like made this game like they there are times when they know how to zoom in their focus on mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. simple human drama and incorporate elements that just. You know, like this, it's just someone's life that you're just you get to experience a moment of, uh, and yeah, it just like that. That's the part that really struck me. That like on top of like all of the like the loud music and the you know the the just the crass everything about this game is just mm-hmm. this moment of like quiet between two people where they're just talking and she's just like, yeah, I love this guy and he died mm-hmm. in one of these races. Mm-hmm. Uh, killed by a guy yeah yeah and and that and then you're like well i was here to just do races to pass time but now i'm doing them because i want this story because again Mm -hmm. the driving is not fun you're not here to drive you're here to hang out with claire Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so suddenly the reward of the races doesn't matter right it's her I think it's always interesting that whenever this game needs to like zoom in on a character in that way it has to like almost purposefully get you out of night city to do so yeah at at the end of this race that's when claire is like hey pull up further i want to like just chat and so you go beyond the finish line where previously it's been this very like ticker tape you know everybody's cheering and 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 taking photos and stuff like that and you go past that and you go to this little vantage point where you can theoretically see the whole city for me it was foggy and raining so i didn't see anything and v was like wow what a great view and i was like <laughs> you literally cannot see shit right now v. <laughs> uh but uh yeah it's it's a really good moment i love the the line that claire has about um getting fitted with an implant uh at a certain point and and she's very much like anti uh any sort of like technological modifications and all that uh, she loves machines, but she doesn't want to become one. I was like, cool, I've been looking for a character like that yeah. and all this. We yeah. already had the Maelstrom gang who are like, I want to replace all my body parts with robot stuff. But here is Claire. Uh, as we were talking about with, with Eloquent on that recent episode too, like there there are so many you know implications of the idea of a gang that wants to replace all their body parts and become pure and and powerful but what is the opposite of that and what does that person look like and how do they feel about the the growing uh modification that is happening to everyone's bodies through machinery and through robotics and 
I, I was almost like, cool, can we talk more about that, Claire? Like, this is really cool. This is a really cool <laughs> character trait. And then the game was like, nah, back to the story. And I was like, all right. Yeah, and um, like before we move on from this point, though, the thing that stuck out to me, like I didn't play the, the fish in my first playthrough either. I just kind of like knew of it through what, like through just hearing other people talk about it, was that like Claire is allowed to be a trans person outside of the systems that V has to be. And mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. We talked about, like, you know, okay, the marketing had its own bullshit, but we talked about, like, in the very first episode how the game has this very, like, rigid binary yeah. vision of how all, like, how trans identity works. And, like, mm-hmm. but then you have Claire here who just gets to, like, exist as a human being and be who she is. And that's one of, the, like, the most frustrating things about this game to me is that, like, it feels like it has so many different, you know, teams working on different aspects of it that it doesn't feel like it's able to have, like, a very coherent vision of a lot of things. And this is one of those things that most sticks out to me is that like in the midst of like v being beholden to so much like weird bullshit that cd project red still some fucking how almost two years later didn't patch out or like you know put a toggle in so like you could you know be more in line with yourself instead of having to live in the systems that that game requires claire is just over here just like like it's there, there had to be like a writer there that was like very aware of what they were doing and had like the care to put in to be respectful of a character's identity in a way that the, the game largely isn't. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. props to that, whoever that was that, like, wrote this quest that was, like, in the in the midst of all this noise and all this other, like, really kind of hand shit that this game is doing to trans people, I'm going to, like, make a character who feels like embodies what, you know, probably, like, what, what that writer feels more about uh, mm. this community and these people when the game is largely trying to push against that in ways that some, in some ways just feel like carelessness, but other times feel like very pointed and you know a, a social media person does not speak for a team of several hundred people but you gotta admit that kind of shit wears on people yeah that yeah. are like you know in the margin is not being able to speak publicly about things yeah and it, it it's it you know this is something i was planning on waiting to talk about until we got to like the act two side quest but it's one of those moments where I don't necessarily want like a big blinking light saying like, here are the good side quests or anything like that. (laughs) But I I feel like I've brought this up before that like really good open world RPGs, like say fallout new Vegas, uh, do an incredible job of weaving their quests together in ways that make you stumble onto the good stuff, like almost on purpose. Like, Hey, look all of our quests are going to weave together or you're going to notice things or want to go to things because they are cool and interesting and then you're going to find really good stuff when you get there and i think i was struck by the fact that all this was here and it was hidden several layers deep into what is otherwise a very by the numbers cookie cutter and not all that interesting quest line that you can miss if you don't check your text messages um and i I, that's that's not necessarily saying like oh you know they they should make that stuff more prominent but i think it just speaks to what cyberpunk is that this game is so full of stuff and number one does not give you good ways of like recognizing you know like hey here are some quests they're going to have a little bit more meat to them they're going to be a little bit more interesting but also even this quest line the way it like fractures out into like the beast in me and then location name every time i see a quest name with the location name after i'm like oh okay this is a collectathon quest this is not an interesting quest um 
that's like such a classic open world thing it's it's like the signifier that like oh here's a quest archetype we put in every area of the world so the player would have more stuff to do and instead there's like really good story hidden here and part of me is like oh i wonder if this is hidden behind everything in cyberpunk yeah. but i know it's not because i've played those other side yeah quests. i know it's and, not and, and i <laughs> i think that that's part of what like makes me so fascinated by this game right is because that they don't signpost that stuff that it is just like like the, there is one side quest in particular that i the like when ken was like hey what what are what are the quests that sit out to you i almost put this one down but it's one it's like it seems like a total throwaway quest where you're just like talking mm-hmm. to a vending machine that is like sentient and oh yeah, yeah each yeah. time you come back it's like you get a little bit more detail about this vending machine and then you start realizing that like people are getting like relationship advice from it and like it's becoming people's friends Mm -hmm. and then it goes to like the it gets taken away to like a repair center and 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 like people are genuinely sad that this companion that they were that was like helping them with life struggles is gone and it's just, like, again, total throwaway thing. Like, it, it seems like a goof until it's not. And that's those are the moments in this game that, like, really stood out to me as those moments where they're like, well, okay, so we are making a by-the-numbers open-world kind of game. What are the ways that we can subvert that? Mm. And I think that, like, this particular quest line is, like, one of the biggest successes of that in the entire game is that they're, like well, yeah, we got to do races. How do we make that interesting? And then they actually did. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a problem that I think, like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you, I was going to move forward. So you I was gonna say, well, it's a problem that I think I'm recognizing, because like, people that listen to the show know I don't really care for open-world games generally. And something that I think I'm coming to realize is that like a lot of open-world games, in terms of like directing you towards like the most interesting quests and such, a lot of them seem content to not do that, because I think there's sort of like the... The, no- the notion of an open world game is that like you should be happy to have content that is here to occupy your time that we mm. like the, the very notion that the stuff exists is enough in a yeah. way like because like you know that's what a lot of these open world games do is that like a lot of cause, you know like a lot of side content won't be anything that's actually meaningful and it is there just to like be the thing that occupies hundreds of hours of time per game and that's you know you know there's some people that feed into that like i want a dollar per hour or whatever the fuck so, like, it doesn't even really matter what, what you're actually doing. It's just more that you are being occupied. And f- for... Because Cyberpunk, like, you know, it has the, the phone calls and the text, and those have been, in a weird way... Like, in a, in a, I almost feel like the game is kind of undermining itself in one way by making a lot of those phone calls things you can just turn down. Because now, like, it's not always directly putting something in your face. Like, you were able to just, like, you know, stash it away for some time to come back to later. But... um. You know, I, I think just a lot of open world games aren't really as interested in like how do we make the player aware of like this is our best stuff, and this does not all just fall into the same trash pile as everything else. Like, you know, some games will do like, you know, they'll they'll put quests in like certain tiers, like side quests, jobs, whatever the fuck. Like you know, like they do things to kind of like I guess maybe give you like sort of understanding of like okay, this quest is going to be more involved than this, yeah. but even that is like. It's still a checklist by the end of the day. Like, I think you do... I think it's better to, to draw a player in, like, say, like, the, the companion quests, that we, like, the Judy ones that we've done, the Pan Ams we're gonna, ones we're going to do, those, by, like, being a, a phone call from a character that you already know, kind of just, like, make it... Like, you know, you understand, like, oh, I am already, to some degree, invested in this character, thus I want to see them more. 
And so you're more inclined to pick up that call more. So it's like, you know, it's the same thing. Like if you get a phone call now in real life and it's an unknown number, you, you're not going to, you're going to, you know, swipe left on that. But if it's from somebody, no, you answer. Um, and I, I, I feel like cyberpunk is like in a weird state right now because it allows you to turn down so many of those calls that it is the one way it had to sign post those things to you is kind of obsolete at this point. I think it was a solution though that just highlighted the initial problems with the system though that like everything is talking heads like everything is like that is the way that the game communicates with you is that outside of a few circumstances I can think of many of the quests in that game are given to you by a talking head that just contacts you at random Mm -hmm. points and I think that is like a greater problem with cyberpunk is that it makes the world feel less corporeal if that makes sense like it's less present like you are not walking up to a person and doing a thing you are driving into a new area and then the fixer in that area immediately knows your phone number is like hey v nice (laughs) to see you in my neck of the woods come by my place sometime i'll give you a job i'm dr hands and you're just like okay cool um i'm not doing those (laughs) yeah yeah no i don't i don't like dr hands um but it's like that is the larger problem i have with cyberpunk is that like a lot of other like even ones that we've been dumping on you know like far cry or assassin's creed or stuff like that at least you got to go like talk to somebody at least you got to go like meet somebody and i understand this is like the cyber future and all that so why would you have to talk in person yeah. all the time yeah. you don't yeah, it's necessarily the, it, need to but it's the future so we can give you audio dialogue that sounds worse than it does on a 2020 iphone like <laughs> yeah and, and everything is just like constant barrage of texts and messages and they don't give you a very good interface at like sorting or navigating that stuff either or even giving you like context for what's in those messages every time i open my freaking cell phone in this game it is just i've seen so many better cell phone interfaces in yeah. other video games that i don't know how cyberpunk messed this up this bad when like freaking I, I i love this game so i'm not saying this is like a bad game i can't believe it got this right while well, cyberpunk got this wrong but like tokyo mirage sessions sharp fe is an incredible <laughs> JRPG that also does a very believable phone text interface menu. Uh, and Cyberpunk over here, the one that's supposed to be about interfaces and tech, I feel like you deal with inter- interfaces like not very often. And when you do, they're bad. Yeah. Like, computer interfaces well, in this game are terrible. They're just yeah, the worst. I hate computer them. Computer hacking doesn't feel good because, again, it's just like you press the button and you get a menu with zero con. Like, none of the mm-hmm. menus give you any context. Like, going to, like, character creation, stats. Like, the it's all... And, and I think this goes back to the fundamental problem with this game is that there is a... There is just a a lack of a cohesive identity or it's like conflicting identities right yeah yeah because it wants to be this like deep organic jrpg that or jrpg rpg that surprises (laughs) you i've been playing live alive excuse me uh (laughs) but yeah this this like organic rpg that is like surprising and and like stuff just happens because you're living a like an actual life but then it's like well how do we fit all this around in a time frame that is a, like a human amount of time, well, let's lean on all of the big open world RPG tropes that people know 
like you know like like the the endless quest log like the the cell phone with bad messaging and like that's the 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 parts that they shortcut undermine the parts where it feels like that like where the soul of this game is we should do live alive for normandy fm that's that's what yeah, i'm saying it's yeah. such a good video game that's oh. that's a good video yeah, that's that's a good ass video game. I, I, I think <laughs> before before we actually move on because we do need to move on we have like three more quests to go after this <laughs> but um to your point about like it not necessarily being torn in different directions but just so many different design directions like butting heads with each other when i was talking about the hacking the first thing that immediately came to mind when i was thinking about it was that every computer you can either use like as an interface or you can jack into to hack and get credits from because that was like a thing that i think they wanted to do more at first but then just ended up being like oh every turn terminal you can just like hack it for money uh and i think like the idea that they have both those options but they're not blended together at all like yeah. they're two very distinct things like either use this or hack this but you can't use it while hacking it or hack it while using it you know like they're not blended they're just kind of two things that are standing next to each other it's it's oil and water you know yeah it's, it's and one it was like things. one of them is like press and one is hold the button mm-hmm. oh, so God, it's that, like, that yeah. sucks yeah <laughs> How many times have I jacked into something to hack it while I'm in yeah. the middle of combat? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's a mess. Um, um, it, yeah. it it feels like they just these two things don't they should fit together, but they don't. Yeah. Uh. Anyways, speaking of friction, we we're now going into the last race. Yeah. Um. We got this corpo named Samson who apparently slammed on his brakes with Dean behind him in the road, uh, and caused some sort of crash that uh that uh killed claire's husband dean and uh is why we're here we're here for revenge on samson and obviously we're we're good friends and so we're like hell yeah we're gonna kill samson let's let's go do this <laughs> <laughs> you think i'm here to race <laughs> yeah might or uh, die <laughs> yeah so we we go to the big race because we have done so well in our previous races and and claire and samson are getting in each other's face um Samson's like, oh, you, your husband was as bad a husband as he was a driver. And Claire is like, I'm just going to fucking murder you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what a thing res- to say to someone. Yeah, I kind of respect that Claire is not even like playing it off. She's like, I am literally going to kill you tonight. <laughs> like, <that> is, <laughs> um, so we we then start a race. And and as we learn in this race, it eventually like the pack thins out very fast. And it ends up just you and Samson and his 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 car is pretty fast compared to Claire's car and so you kind of just have to tail him for a very long time just kind of slowly following it's him It's so boring dude. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was sitting there I was like is this intended that like he's supposed to kind of feel like he's breaking away and then like slow back down and then like just like perpetually 20 feet in front of you the entire yeah. time or something like that. It just Ooh. it does there's like a lot of things there's just no weight. <laughs> Well, because the sequence, because it needs to get to the point, like the scripted point of the yeah. race, where there is a an exit. So, like, eventually his car takes enough damage and he goes careening off a highway exit, and the game is like, now do you want to finish the race or do you want to go confront Samson? And 
I'm honestly curious what happens if you go finish the race. I, I can't imagine anyone who would go. I want to meet the person who would do that. Yeah. Because, like, why? Because, <laughs> like, if you're here to win the race, like, why are you playing this video game? You know? <laughs> I, someone's like, I just wanted to win some street races. I wanted 5,000 credits so I could buy a new hat. <laughs> Hey. Uh, so I get hey. Well, okay. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I, that was not that was not a dig, but like no, yeah, no, like, no. I mean, like I I have done so much shit for money in this game just to buy clothes. I, it's a problem. Know, it's it's gonna be more of a problem. Ken has recently started playing Final Fantasy fourteen, and he's oh, not no. far into it yet. But once he discovers glams, I'm I'm worried there's no coming back. It's there's, over. This will financially ruin Ken. Uh, but. We, we pull off to the side, and, and after a little bit more scripting, his his car does a wild, careening, you know, just very cinematic blast through the street, and he comes crawling out very movie style. And Claire's, you know, Claire comes out to confront him, and he tries to talk his way out of it. There's some interrupts. Um, you know, we can kind of be like, oh, so it turns out that Claire was not entirely truthful with us, that... Um, her husband went for a dangerous pass on him and he kind of like you know there was some bumping and some jostling and it sounds like the way that claire's husband died was not entirely unexpected in the course of this racing um if we are to believe what samson is saying although claire does not really refute that um but but claire still like blames samson for what happened and and we can either like let her take the kill or like try to tell her to stop um i did try to be like hey you know maybe this is not the way to do it and she's like nah i'm still gonna do it i I think i the choice i i was given was like do it don't do it or like it's your choice and i think i chose the it's your choice one and she ends up killing him um Ken, I'm assuming you just encouraged her to murder him. No, I mean, I told her to stop because I was trying to hear him out because like, there was apparently more to it, and she's, she's like, I don't care, and takes the shot anyway. And ah, okay. So there's no way, as far as I was able to well, discern, to think I, I didn't look too closely, but I, I did check out the quest line on like a wiki or something just to see, and I think that there is a way to get her to not do it, but it requires like a much more specific like dialogue choice than mm-hmm. just that moment. Like mm. I, I do think like other dialogue choices that you make before may mm. affect that, but um, yeah, no, I think I picked the same one where it was just like, like, look, I'm just here to help you. Mm-hmm. This mm. is this is this is your moment. You decide what you want to do here. One and, fewer yeah. corpo in the city. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, the dude. The okay. The sucks. corpo is the canonical storyline for this game. <laughs> oh, corpo, corpo life is so good. In it's in, it's, it's really uh, really good. Like Tim Tim Rogers, I think has the best take on it. Like the the corpo is the choice for narcs, but it's also the best way to play the game. Yeah, like hands down, corpo gets some of the best dialogue options, especially if you want to learn more about Night City and the way yeah. it operates. Like. Street Kid, I think, gets some good ones too. Nomad gets fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, um, like yeah, and well, because I mean, it's the power structure of the entire right, game, right? And that's your window into it, and it sets up all of the state. Anyway, <laughs> completely derailing, but yeah, yeah no, the yeah, the I my first playthrough was a corpo, and I was very much like uh, 
like yeah like you know like i'm i'm i've i have my mission i'm here to help you out you do what you feel is right in this moment yeah yeah i like the Mm -hmm. way like corpo v is always like it predicts the way a lot of things are going to happen and then characters are always like, how do you know that? And V's like, I've been that core. I've, <laughs> I've been dirty. I I've know. seen some shit. <laughs> I know what's going on. Uh, yeah, no, I like yeah, that I version of mm. V a lot. I mean, it, it, we keep you know bringing this up in, at various points throughout the season. Like, it is interesting, like, hearing how almost like people's perception of the story of Cyberpunk 2077 it can be so different depending on what your backstory is. Because, like, I... I mean, I okay. I just fucking finished this game last night because I'm playing very, very far ahead because I have a problem. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> and like you know, playing Street Kid just like feels so central to what the heart of this game to me in a lot of ways. And I mean that like not in like the you know like the narrative function of like the heart of the thing, but like just like the actual like humanity of this game. Like yeah. I feel like I'm, I just get like a very different experience being that, and I think it's intrinsic to why I actually have With- mostly positive feelings. Which um, is interesting because, like, when I play through as Corpo, like, I I feel like that, to me, is the emotional crux where it's you have this guy who was on the inside, loses everything, and realizes the things that are important to him. And so the choices that he makes and the things that he experiences, like, by the middle of this game affect, at least for me, affected how, like, I chose to end the game, which was to go the nomad route and like mm-hmm. realize that like night city isn't for me anymore. It's time for a fresh start. And to me, that was a very satisfying arc. But again, like I, I do think that there are people who will play this game and choose like maybe the nomad route or something and like just bounce off of it completely. Cause they're not getting that same sort of arc through it. It's, right. Again, yeah. fascinating video. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about nomad in a second. <laughs> uh, let, let's wrap the clear stuff yeah. up real quick. So we, we get back in the car, uh, because why are you not going to? And and we can kind of talk about Dean. I like some of the conversation here where Claire's like, oh, uh, he likes to sleep in, you know, he, he, but she's been forgetting more about him as time goes on. And you, you get the sort of like, does revenge make you feel better moment, which we've already had once in this game. You know, who can say if we'll have it again? <laughs> but uh, it's... Ken, I'm, I'm with you on, on your notes here that, like, I I don't think it's wrong the way it ends this quest where it's like, oh, ultimately the revenge makes you feel pretty hollow and pretty unrewarded. Like, yes, that's, that is the way the story goes. But also, like, that's the way the story always goes. Yeah. It doesn't really have anything new to say in that regard. And for for a quest line that had such a heart at the center of it, like the the very middle of it boy it just ends on on a whimper and it was like double emphasized for me when i went to afterlife after this to start the the ghost town quest that we're about to go into and claire was just kind of like hey v let me get you a drink and i was like that's it that's all you got to say to me like that's okay yeah we we went through shit together (laughs) like yeah yeah, like i i think i have the opposite takeaway on the the quest as a whole just as itself like it felt very much like a like an anthology story to me where mm. it's just like here's just like a slice of a character's life like like reading a haruki Murana, uh, murakami short story where it's just like okay. yep yeah. here's here's all you get and it ends and you take with it what what you what you take with it and and that's it is the problem is that it is fit inside of an open world game yeah 
that you were still playing and still maybe occasionally seeing this character and expecting more out of that relationship and it's not there. Um, yep. That, I think, like, for me, the ending of it being just, like, uh, like kind of like the ending of The Graduate, right? Where it's, like, they both mm. get on the bus and they're mm-hmm. driving away mm-hmm. and they're both just kind of sitting there and they're really not sure what they did or why they did it and it just kind of leaves you with that and then it ends. Like, t- to me, like, that, like, I was okay with that, I, with this, where it's just, like, you did the thing. We, we did what we set out to do. I'm just going to have to sit with these emotions now. And, you know, we just kind of, our, our lives go separate ways, you know, like a wandering Ronin mm. through, through a cyber city. Um, but yeah, I like, cause like for me, when I played this the first time I did it near the end of my playthrough. So like I was already done with the, the stuff in the bar and, and rogue and all that stuff. So like, I didn't really encounter her that much anymore, but yeah, I could see how jarring it would be to like roll up and go, Hey, how's it going? And like, just nothing more from this character, um, which is a bummer because she's great. I wish I wish there was more, but yeah, it, I mean, it's interesting because like a lot of the other, I mean, she's not technically like companion in the same way that we consider like Judy or Pan Am or Carrie, yeah. but like she is like it is a very specifically character centric plot line that just kind of you know tapers off at the end and. I think for me, it was just, like, I, I'm i coming, like, to appreciate that there are, like, a handful, like, a handful of, like, really strong quest lines in this game that feel like they have something to say at the end. Like, there was actually, like, a sort of message that you can take away from it, both, like, in terms of what the game has to say to you and what, how you respond back to it as a player. Where here, it just kind of felt like we, like, life sucks and then you die. Like, that's all this <laughs> really was. Like, shitty things are shitty things, and... I've been thinking a lot about, like, I've been reflecting a lot on The Last of Us Part Two like, right now because, like, the remake's about to come out. And so, you know, that that game did not resonate with everyone in the world, but it at least had something to say at the end when it was talking about the same, these same themes. And I don't know. I, I just... I really enjoyed, like, my time with Claire because she was a character that kind of, like, passed me by the first time I played. But um, I, I I really liked, you know, talking to her, like, as a street kid, V, that was, like, had very much, like, been in the trenches and similar things that she had been in and... and dealt with, like, you know, the loss of people, like, like for V, it's Jackie, for her, it's her husband, and, you know, like, just feeling like I connect to, like, a person on that level, but then just, like, now that we've, like, really been through this thing together, the game just, like, doesn't really feel like it's interested in, like, sitting with that any longer, and that is also just, it's not the main plot, it's something that, like, you, you, you you gotta walk away from it at some point. Yeah, you ultimately realize that this was a series of racing mini games yeah. to yeah. get you a car. Yeah. We we get a car. That's that's the takeaway. I, I guess I could be more down for the anthological take if this was not also a game that seems like it wants your choices to matter and wants to do that whole thing too of like you made a choice and it's reflected in the world, but it rarely ever seems yeah that way. Um, I don't know. I mean, Ghost that that town. seems like kind of a problem <laughs> problem with the game as a whole, though. Yeah. Uh, like some choices do matter, but most don't. You know. Like not not more beyond like maybe shaping character moments, but yeah, I don't know. Which can uh, be enough. Like, I mean, yeah. At a certain point, we have like we as people that play video games need to be more comfortable with the fact that like something that we did is not going to change like the the, the back fifty percent of the game. And yeah, that is something that like especially like as we've been doing the show for all these years now, just like realizing that like consequence is not always in me like having some 
demonstrably different thing that happens later. It's just more like me understanding that my presence in the world led to a different outcome for somebody or something. Yeah. Yeah. But but on the same on the same side of the coin though, like if the game is being like, Oh, your your choices will matter and, and all that kind of stuff, it's it then feels very facetious to then come through and be like oh, this is not really like yeah. things things are going to happen and i think you can do profound storytelling with it but it it speaks to it speaks to a game when that level of stuff like i, I don't necessarily like we've talked about mass effect 3 to death on here we don't need to do that again <laughs> and i think a lot of that discourse is very tiring and and so like i think in cases like that where it's like oh my god this th- this thing was not clearly reflected there's one big glaring issue in the mass effect series and it's the rachni and everything else i'm just like whatever okay cool but um it's it, more like in cyberpunk it just makes it feel like there's almost this element of like choices don't always matter and like night city is going to be night city and i kind of wish if that was the direction they were going to go with that they leaned harder into it and that there yeah. were there was more of that going on and maybe they wouldn't you know it, maybe they touch on that just a bit more instead of just making it feel like night city doesn't feel as overbearing as i want it to be it still feels just like a sandbox to me at this point like yeah like a playground and ha- have your moment where your 1980s michael j fox character looks at the city goes all right night city what else you got for me yeah (laughs) oddly enough there's not enough like pensive moments in this game i would like more pensive moments in this game uh it it just seems by almost by design of the world that there's you're gonna end this mission and there's gonna immediately be like a delamain cab slamming into a wall around the corner and that's just how night city works but um ghost town back to the plot so one of our leads for for getting intel on the relic is Anders Hellman, who who was part of the creation of the program, and we got to track him down. So we go to somebody who knows Night City, that's Rogue. So we're back to Afterlife. We say hi to Claire, <laughs> completely oblivious of the entire quest line we just did. Yeah, yeah, no no mention of that previous quest line whatsoever. Uh, Claire prefers to text about it, does not prefer to talk about it. <laughs> um, we go talk to Rogue. And, 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 you know, after a little trouble at the VIP section, we get in, you know, there is some Pan Am supposedly having an argument with Rogue, put a pin in that. Um, she storms off, we go in and, and we start talking to Rogue about what we're looking for. We want to find Anders Hellman. We want to get some info about what's going on. Johnny shows up. Johnny starts saying some stuff about, you know, like, oh, that's the Rogue I know and stuff like that. Oh God, Johnny. Um, I do like the little exchange about like a lot of bodies in your way. Do you chalk, do you chalk all that up to bad luck? Like are, are a lot of people die around you V is that just bad luck? And, and you can kind of confront rogue about that, but I think that's a very good probing question for the, the game to suddenly throw at you. Even if it's like, well game, you made those people die. <laughs> you you, you, you to took die. them away from me. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was not like a choice I made. That you just you took them, <laughs> but um, we we have to come up with cash, uh, and and give her some cash to progress this. Which uh, Ken did not have the cash because he spent it all on fashion in this game. <laughs> this hey, point. I look real good on this mission. Like. I- <laughs> 
Sure, I had to go. I had to go do some cyber psycho shit after to go get some money. Oh, but I looked God. real good. Oh, meanwhile, oh, I was just like, yeah, I got like 10k in my pocket. Hold no, on. <laughs> I think the way that happened for me was I, I think I tried to do this quest line first because uh, it gives you those two branching options. Right, you could go do was like the Judy quests, right. and then mm-hmm. you can go do, or you can do the Rogue slash Pan Am quests. Right. And I tried to do this, and then she's like, no, you need money. Exactly. And then I was, well, I just came out of like a weird coma, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have any money. I'll go get it, I guess. And then you talk to a guy behind you who has you grab a dude and put him in a car, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> Yeah. With, with, uh, uh, all leading up to a very awkward office reference at the end of it. The guy oh. that you rescue does like a full, like the line from like a later season of the office where the guy talks about how he's like, uh, like a, like a, like a, like a doctor who worked with a Yakuza boss and, and like, like killed the do- the guy on per- It's it, the whole thing, like straight, like one for one rip off of an office joke weird which was weird again memes the game yeah mm-hmm. um i do think that it, i was giving this game shit for it earlier so i have to give it credit that's like an interesting way to be like hey you need money how about you go do the side quest which has some yeah. stuff going on like that's at least some signposting and it's happening in the real world so i give it credit for that but also like i already had the cash so i walked right by <laughs> that dude did not even pay attention to him <laughs> Um, so she, she gets a chip. It, it, the funny part is if you show up with the cash or whatever, she's like, you got to wait a little bit of time. I don't know if that's different. If you have mm. to go in and then come back. Um, did you also have to wait for her to no, get all the when I, when I had the money this time and I brought it back to her, she had everything ready for me. Oh yeah. Okay. So I had to wait. Like oh, I, I, I gave the money and it was like, okay, wait a day. And so I just like literally went to the bar and sat at the bar for 24 hours and then came back you've been here a while (laughs) you need to go home yeah um and and so rogue gets all the info uh hellman was working for kang tao a corporation that uh is probably keeping him safe for for from arasaka uh they've got him moving on transport out of the city and we're able to figure out which one has an anonymous vip on it but the the place where this transport is is not easy to uh to deal with and we'll need some help from a local uh pan am palmer a nomad who's uh who's kind of on the outs with her clan these days pan am was the one that was storming off earlier uh pan am's been moving merch for rogue but uh the last one kind of went bad and and she's she wants to make it right she wants to get her name back and on the streets of night city so we're gonna help her out with that uh and and rogues like i'm gonna give you all the info i know what went wrong i know where the goods are uh you're gonna help pan am get that stuff back you're also gonna help pan am get her good credit back pan am's gonna get the merch back and everybody's gonna be happy and v can very much be like ah okay i see what's going on here like you are you are being rogue you are the mastermind you're moving everything and even johnny is like Oh dang, Rogue Rogue runs this town now. Yeah. <laughs> and I kinda like that. I kinda like Johnny being very uncomfortable by how powerful Rogue is without him. That is right. really good. I like that a lot. More of and Keanu Reeves, Johnny Silverhand squirming yeah, at the, the sight of a powerful woman. <laughs> the moments when Johnny's facade cracks are the best parts of that character. Mm-hmm. And like that you start I think this is the point where you really start to see that happening. 
is when he's dealing with Rogue and like a lot of this quest line, I think too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so we head to an area to meet up with Pan Am. Um and literally when we walk up to her, this is why I kept making the the Megan Fox jokes. Um it's literally the scene from Transformers <laughs> where she is like working on a car and stuff and and like it, it is it feels framed. If if the trans flag was framed in one way for the the street racing quest, then Pan Am's ass was framed in a way for this quest. <laughs> and like okay you are you are very early saying like this is a companion this is a potential love interest if you like butts you you're gonna love this quest (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i say this as someone who romanced panam the first playthrough um which uh, it's fine (laughs) not to jump ahead but the romance for panam is like one of the funniest romances i've seen in a video game it's bad i think I, it's I, pretty I bad. All, all of all of the all like, I don't know, like I feel like like again, CD Projekt Red high, writing high off the success of Witcher Three that you know does have sex scenes in it because mm-hmm. it's a game for adults, which is you know fine, whatever. They're like, well, we got to do that for Cyberpunk because that's what we do, right? And for this game, like it, it just feels like like Barbie dolls going at yeah. it. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, especially and, in the Pan Am stuff. You're right. Because, like, like, yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I feel like in at least three of the four options, the sex scene at least, like, feels in line with the character at four. With the Pan Am thing, just, like, especially considering, like, the tone of, like, their the V and Pan Am relationship up to that yeah. point, just, like, fucking, like, takes a hard right turn. And, like, I just, <laughs> I, mm. I, I, I say this, <laughs> I say this honestly, the Pan Am companion relationship feels like it was written by a dude that was just really hot for pan am like and that's kind of the perspective that it takes for most of this is like everything she does feels very like oh hot mechanic chick who's who's totally down to kick some ass but is also like let's take a tumble in the back seat bub and stuff like that it's like uh i i I don't know it's it's serviceable and honestly you know the best thing that can happen for straight dudes who have always had romance options in video games is to eat poorly for one video game (laughs) it's we 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 gotta start taking our licks it's we've we've had it good too long um Uh. but it's uh, yeah it's whatever it's it's there it exists now that i do like Oh, just I, I do like the relationship outside of that, mm-hmm. outside of the romance where they're just yep. like people just hanging out and like getting into shit yeah. together. It's cool. Yeah, like, but, yeah, like but, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we've, we've, we've dumped a lot parts. on we we have yeah. dumped a lot on Pan Am out of context because we have not gotten to her until <laughs> right now in this show. Like especially like on the, on the Judy episode where we're just kind of like comparing more <laughs> or less. Um, oh, it's like I I really like Pan Am when the game's not remind me that there's an alternate universe in which my V is with her and right. I'm like not having to deal with like trying to get the game off that track. Yeah. And and I'll even say like the parts about Pan Am that I don't like are largely related to how much the game just wants you to be like hot for her and think she's hot and stuff. But when you actually get into who Pan Am is and, and what she does and what she represents, like that's 
that stuff is is pretty all right. It's pretty like it's, good. It, it's the like, Miranda from Mass Effect. Not a bad like, it's like yeah, the Miranda yeah. from Mass Effect thing, like where oh god, like yeah. she like is doing her own thing. Like she's she's got a lot going on. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of like really great writing around her. But some yeah. director in the in the, at the studio is like, you guys know what will be really fucking funny. You guys know what will be really <laughs> fucking like. <laughs> what smooth? What if the camera was just like lower? Okay, no, no, no. He's got he's got like blender open, right? And he's right. no lower, lower, no up. Okay. okay, and and then they ask, like, "What's this dialogue about?" Oh, her abusive father. Oh, oh well. <laughs> oh. oh, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, no. It's, it's he walked in with a copy of fucking Transformers in his left hand, clutched like <laughs> I've got it, <laughs> I've cracked it. Um. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk more about Pan Am. We walk up, Pan Am's working on the car, and we're like, "Hey, we got your number from Rogue." Um. I. So there, there are a lot of dialogues that take place over this point that kind of talk about Pan Am and her relationship with Rogue and all that, which is, you know, like Rogue's kind of been the fixer that Pan Am has been working with. Pan Am's kind of on the outs with her nomad clan. And the game kind of lets you take a broad stance of either being like, I'm just in this to like help myself or like oh would rogue like it if you did that or whatever or you can kind of like side with pan am and be like look just because we're being played doesn't mean we like can't get one over on rogue too and i kind of like the weird gray area that a lot of these dialogue choices play around in because again they're they're ones that don't pan out towards anything really it's mm-hmm. you're just kind of having yeah. a conversation with someone you're gonna do the mission no matter what right but but i think the fact that they matter so little ends up making those little choices a little bit more interesting because now yeah. you're kind of affecting the flavor of your relationship with right. this character and getting kind of different feelings about how this character interprets the world and how you stand with these other characters there is that little thing of like oh you know we're gonna get one over on the person who's trying to puppet master us and stuff like that. I think that's, even if it's not anything, it's good flavor. And and that's kind of what I mean by earlier when I said like, you know, if, if it's going to play choices matter, you got to make choices matter. Well, conversely, if you just get rid of any apprehension about these, you know, any assumption about these choices mattering and just let these characters talk like people, you can have some interesting conversations here and it's a good time. I like it. I like a lot of this section where you're just kind of talking about the world and learning more about each other. It's there's a lot of good just sitting in the car and talking in this. Doing like a like like a good like out in the boonies kind of just like we're just gonna Mm -hmm. fuck some shit up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, Um, It's a good time. So we ultimately like we we get around, you know, there's some there's some tension at first because Pan Am is obviously not happy about the way that Rogue is playing us off each other. Um, but we're like, look, okay, let's work together. Like this, this enemy clan, this enemy uh, nomad troop has your car and your merch. Clearly you're not happy with this hunker of junk that you have right now. Um, and, and, and we, we can get your stuff back and we can make this right. Like, don't think about it as rogue just handing this to you think about it as like we can get your stuff back um and so we we set up we set off on this really long i think what is honestly maybe an overly long intro quest for all that pan am is i think these quests were maybe just like a hair too long all Mm. things considered for what you're actually doing i literally okay so i wrote down for this first quest this note this quest feels like return of the king 
It's just a, <laughs> there are just a bunch of natural stopping points where you're like, okay, the quest is over, right? And then it mm-hmm. just keeps going mm-hmm. and going. But then the next two quests just blend together so seamlessly that like I didn't even realize when yes. like lightning breaks yeah. ended and life during weirdly paced section mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we call up Boz, who is her original client for the original job, and is like, hey, turns out that this thing with Nash, so Nash kind of double-crossed Pan Am and took the car and the merch, and Pan Am's like, look, Boz, don't listen to Nash. Don't work with him. Don't go to the meetup. I'm going to take care of Nash, and I'm going to get stuff for you. You know me. You love working with me. You hate Nash, right? Everybody hates Nash. We can get rid of Nash. <laughs> and... Um, Pan Am like stresses the importance of a reputation and and like you, you got to have a good rep, you know, in Night City and all that. Um, so as we set that up and we convince Boz to not go to this meet, we're gonna ambush Nash at this meetup. Uh, we go to the Aldecaldos, which is Pan Am's nomad clan, former nomad clan, essentially, this strange nomad clan, and uh, some of her pals are out front meeting us and and we get kind of some fun you know like dialogue here just goofing around we go pick some stuff up from her tents uh and i i kind of dig this part a lot where we get to walk around the nomad camps i get to meet some of these uh people around here uh mitch and scorpion are really cool great Um, names yeah yeah (laughs) like I think the nomads, this might be the best place to talk about it. The nomads are really conceptually cool. I, I really yeah. love the idea of they took this sons of anarchy ass days gone ass setup for fast. And the fear, a, like, like if, like if you play as a nomad, all V talks about his family. Like it's like, yes, like, like, yeah. like he's doing his best Vin Diesel impression. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very much like we care about, but there's also like something cool about that, that, you know away from night city which is very much like everyone for themselves and all that one of the only characters you really hear talk about the importance of family is jackie everybody else is very much in it for themselves yeah and for for v it ends up being the situation where like um you kind of see that oh there's a different way to live than that there's a we can kind of live in you know essentially a commune this traveling commune uh helping each other working with each other and like live off the land and not have to worry about night city and all that shit out there like we've got our own stuff that we can take care of and we don't need to live in these places that the mega corporations say we've got to live in and die in like we can be our own people yeah and sometimes like you, that freedom is more important than yeah the you, lurvy you, city you can't escape capitalism but at least we'll try to do it together. Right. Right. Which is more like, and that to me, I think was ultimately why I went with this route and this Mm -hmm. particular ending as a corpo, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. just because it was like, Oh, like, no, like the, just that making that decision in my head after spending time on this quest and then doing some other side caps was just like, no, I like my V is coming to terms with his mortality. Mm. (laughs) And, Night City doesn't have anything left for him. Like, like the nomads. Like yeah, I was gonna say like the, the nomads as a concept is like one of the only hopeful like expressions and yeah. of this universe that mm-hmm. 
especially if like embodied in Pan Am, because like I mean, not necessarily here, and we'll talk about it more next episode. Where like her entire thing is like, hey, I'm like trying to like really make you understand there is another way of life, and this could this could all be yours if you wanted to, if if you wanted to leave that city behind, and you know that that pays off in one way or another depending on your choices at the end. But um, yeah, just like even as the a street kid that like is you know born and raised in Night City. I, I saw the appeal by the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a better world is possible, as some leftists might say. Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, Which, I don't know. I don't know why this resonated to me at all, really. Uh, <laughs> who could say? Who could um, say? <laughs> but it's. I also like that one of the things they get into is that Mitch and Scorpion are both both uh, veterans of the war. And mm. there's there's a line later on in one of these quests where... Um, Pan Am mentions that like she heard V screaming in their sleep and uh, Pan Am's like no it's okay like Mitch and Scorpion used to have a lot of problems when they first like joined us as well and there's a lot of like just sympathy for people Mm -hmm. and empathy that takes place in the Nomad quest line too like people have problems but it's not seen as like oh I'm maybe it was because I'm like coming fresh off the Judy quest line and like the way that everybody is just out for themselves in that quest line. And, and it's all about how terrible night city can be and how awful the place is. And it's so bad, like almost intentionally bad. So you, when Judy is like, Oh, I want to leave. You're not like, Oh, why do you want to leave? You're like, Oh yeah, I'd like to leave too. Mm. Uh, and so to follow this up with Pan Am and be like, yeah, it's bad there. Let's go somewhere else and be nice to each other for a change. I'm like, damn, that does sound good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about the endings when we get to the actual ending of this game, but there are so many pieces of, like, what Night City is and all that that just, you know, it, it makes the Nomad questline really exciting and really fresh and invigorating. But also, Nomad V just ends up getting... The short end of the stick because oh, Nomad dude. V doesn't get to do anything special oh, inside Night City. It is all outside Night City. It's so and yeah, Dave, you're playing it then, right now. Yeah, like I, I, I started a second quest just one. I wanted to see what the Nomad stuff looked like, and two because we were going to specifically talk about these missions. So it was mm-hmm. like, well, does does this mean anything? And ultimately, like outside of uh, at least for these three missions uh out like outside of just a handful of side side comments that you make not really like mm. uh i made a couple notes like there's one when you're first talking to her where you um mentioned that he doesn't work with clan outcasts which is an interesting thing to say because i think uh in the nomad quest line he himself is an outcast or he's at least a loner um yeah but then, I mean, again, like he just—it's just, well, you know, it's it's about family, you know, mm. it's, about, mm-hmm. it's about like it's all it is. It's just like like some guy was like re- taking notes, watching Fast and the Furious, and going, "Oh, family, right, right, yeah, <laughs> okay." And then, like that's that's just kind of all you say. Um, there there is um, an interesting little note where like one of the questions that you get in uh, the latter half of these missions, uh, where you're asking like you're talking about what the weirdest thing you've ever smuggled was and uh you mentioned the iguana mission Mm. that you do at the intro of the game where we're like that's what but again it's just like it's like little stuff like that it doesn't feel because again like the again the nomad stuff is just so separate 
mm-hmm. from everything that's going on in Night City. And on top of the fact that because you're a nomad and you're also talking to nomads, like there's no there's no clash of ideals there, right? Because like if right. you're a corpo with a nomad, like that's mm-hmm. that's an interesting dynamic. That's mm-hmm. like two different worldviews butting heads. Uh, or even like just like V and Johnny Silverhand, right? Just like two completely different ideologies and like personalities just in conflict with each other. With the nomad stuff, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, you know, you know, family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's family. Like, it's just, it it, it sucks because, and again, like, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the fundamental problems of this game, but yeah, it just feels like they like they're like okay so we've got we've got the corpo we've got the street kid we need a third one the afterthought yeah Um. and that's what that's really what it feels like like and at least in like the the few like like six or eight hours that i played on my second playthrough to get through these missions again like there really wasn't anything for being a nomad which is a bummer like i could see someone picking that and going like this is nothing special like what's uh-huh. What, uh-huh. what what's the deal here and then just like completely bouncing off the game yeah that that was me the first time because i was nomad my first time through and i was just surprised by how little my life path came up and i thought that was the norm for everybody and now playing as corpo i'm like oh this is so much better this yeah. is incredibly better this is it's like a video day. game yeah it's like oh they made a video game uh yeah it's it's ridiculous i like that clash of ideals that you brought up because that it is true like look the player is going to be an outsider no matter what right like you you are inserted into a game and you're trying to learn about this thing so having a v that's assumed to already be a part of this very intricate culture is already a problem when the game has not really given you any basis to understand any of that like it starts with you as you mentioned not being a part of a clan and going into night city and then you're just on the same track as everybody else yeah so when it pulls you back out to the nomad stuff it's like oh yeah nomad stuff right v and your v is just like oh yeah totally nomad stuff and (laughs) no like you're essentially role-playing somebody who's trying to fit in at a party you know (laughs) I, I think the, they don't. The text, they don't know I'm a nomad here. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows I'm not a nomad. Um, <laughs> and I think the text gets so much more interesting when you are that outsider. And Corpo is about as far outside of that culture as you can get. Yeah. But it made all the stuff that I was doing so much more interesting because of it. And I, it almost. I'm not this sick, I promise, but it almost makes me want to do a male V playthrough to Romance Pan Am as a corpo just to go for the most, like, star-crossed lovers from different cultures who never should have met, but Dude, by that... life circumstances did meet. Like That, that... was my playthrough. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you, that sounds good. That sounds There's like an arc! <laughs> like, it, it, there's stuff working here. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, like, well, not to like belabor the point, but it's like it's always yeah. interesting to me. Like the more you think of all these different things, where you know your life path, your romance, your ending, and, like all these things that have to come together, almost like it, it feels like you have to have like some almost level of forethought sometimes to like be like how is this, this relationship and this character and this this decision at the end all gonna like play together to make this like actually really kind of fascinating arc. And I feel like there are like certain combinations that really work out, like the corpo romancing Pan Am doing the Nomad anything like that's really interesting to me um but then I think about it like I just feel like they would just not be very well served by various other circumstances and I don't know like it does it 
it, it, almost, it almost makes certain things feel like more like the quote-unquote right ending, but... Yeah. I don't even know that I like, you know, assigning that to it, because like that, you know, we, we've talked about that over the years with Mass Effect, like that, the baggage that sort of label brings with it, because well, it, it assumes like a level of like... Let me point to a different game that we have played for Norm the FM, which is Dragon Age Inquisition. Like, that is a game that I felt did different starting points that inform your character and give you flavor context and potentially different endings that can mean a lot, you know, like the the soulless romance and stuff like that, while not necessarily derailing the whole. And it almost weirdly feels like cyberpunk could have gone that route and really could have gone to inform those life choices more. And instead the life path choices feel roughly about as meaningful as the mass effect one like pre uh career choices you have for shepherd mm-hmm. where it's like oh you get a mission where you get reminded that shepherd was this thing at one point and that was a part of shepherd's life anyways back to the present yeah, yeah. Craig, well, Craig david you... says you were a war hero once and then yeah. that's all you hear about <laughs> yeah I mean, you would put i mean for the nomad sure but like for, yeah. for like the three kid in the corporal you would put it on that level I, I, well, hmm. I, I think the difference in Cyberpunk is that there are more dialogue options, but still at the end of the day, it ends up being this thing that largely just informs your viewpoint and not necessarily comes into any sort of meaningful focus. Certainly not in the way that, like, an elf romance with Solus happens like that. And to be fair, like, that is a like mm. a thing that very few rpgs have ever done so well like inquisition is a game of multitudes but that specific <laughs> romance plot line is incredible it, it is it, in choice-based rpg writing it is something that i still think about as just like they managed to pull that off and do that so well and it's it's honestly amazing but it's i mean i think your viewpoint isn't like some sort of negligible thing i think that like the framing that you've been given at the beginning of this game and you know that you're allowed to kind of like speak into the world to the dialogue options that come up you know based on your life I think that's, that's like not the point I'm making is that it's largely player supported it is largely head canon. it is not something in the same way that like the journey that my Final Fantasy fourteen character took was meaningful to me and i have a head canon for a lot of that character's story but some of that exists in the actual text and then some of that is how i have interpreted it and contextualized it over time that is not actually supported by any systems in the game besides me saying like this is what i feel my story was and the difference that we're talking about here is that like if you could have done this sort of romance story of oh being a corpo v actually makes these conversations with pan am actually different maybe v's like talking different to her and stuff like that maybe their romance has a little bit more tension in it because the nomads are untrusting of you when really it is a functionally similar thing it's just that you have a different shade of it because you know that your v is a corpo and you might get like one dialogue option at one point that's like as a corpo i think (laughs) but it does not it does not pan out in a functional way the way that like romancing solace changes the ending of that game changes chunks of that game makes you learn information you never would have learned otherwise like it's a very different experience altogether Mm. that's kind of what i'm getting at and 
yeah, maybe the the Mass Effect One life path comparison is a little harsh, but I also think that it, it's not it's not completely out of pocket to say that life path choices in this game ultimately come down to just you get different dialogue options in a functional sense like you you get special dialogue options at certain yeah points. well like like there are different decision points that can happen within missions that affect maybe how that mission plays out like you'll mm-hmm. have like you'll uh like i i don't know if this i don't remember if this is different if you play as a corpo versus something else but like the very beginning when you meet that uh the corporate lady who gives you the money for the gang um like as a corpo you can like make that deal with her but i think i don't think you can you if you're another or like you 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 don't know that it's like oh i made that deal with her as a nomad okay but you can't do the thing where you can remove the virus from the chip yeah that's right yeah so like there there are things like that where like as a corpo you're like okay no i know i know what's going on here and i you take the the virus off and it just goes I, like there are moments like that, but I don't think that there's any any like there, it's not like earth shattering, you know. Like there's no yeah. like corporate decision that you make that locks you into a path that is only accessible to a corpo. Uh, as far as I know, um, like I could be I could be wrong, but yeah, like it. And again, I think that there's that that conflict of identity, right? Like you need to be a game that like everyone can see everything, but also you need to make choices interesting and make certain things accessible based on those choices so right right it It just it feels like another one of those situations of oil and water right where where cyberpunk wants to be a lot of different things but those things have trouble coexisting in the same space at times um anyways uh, <laughs> let's speed through some of this quest now so we can actually uh finish this podcast in a reasonable amount of time um we we go through we learn more about the nomads and and basically we end up setting this ambush uh that we're going to pull off on nash and we wait until nightfall and do all this generator stuff and we can uh, we can go about and kind of like stealth our way through and like steal the keys and get in the car and drive off, or you can just do what I did and murder everybody. Yeah. Why? Um, why? Why stealth? It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The the funny part is, Ken, you did stealth here and mm-hmm. you got punished for it because you had to drive. <laughs> if you kill everybody, you don't have to drive. Wait, you don't? Have to, what do you mean you don't have to drive? Like, nope. If you kill, if you kill everyone, Pan Am's like, "Cool, sick, we got my car back." You want me to drive? And you could be like, "Yeah, sure, let's oh, go." Oh, fucking homophobia! Yeah, no, like one, like uh, <laughs> the second time I did it, like I killed everyone. I got in the car, and she's like, "Get out, move over." It's this is my car. Yeah, like oh, she literally great, won't scene, let actually. you drive the car. I love that scene of she's like, "Get out, move over." It's my car, and then she like starts adjusting all the seat and and like moving everything to her liking, and and like adjusting the rear view and all that. And I was like, "This is a really good scene. This is like communicating." What I don't know if you get that later when you actually meet up with Pan Am if she's like, "Okay, get over. This is my car. Like, stop driving it." But um, I mean, yeah, really... when we get the car away, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. I like that. But uh, you don't have to drive the car at all if you just murder everybody. So that's what I'm saying. Let, lesson for you bit. all at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get a little bit more bloodthirsty, Ken. It's okay. I mean, we're about to get much more bloodthirsty because uh, well, she's like, I want some revenge. I want to go murder Nash and everybody else in his gang. And uh, 
we we roll out and do some murder although ken yeah. was surprised that i did this can you just let pan am go is that an option here no i mean like you can you can tell her that you're not gonna go with her because like that's not part of your job um i think i did ended up doing that my first playthrough because i well no i i said i was gonna go do it the first time but there's no stealth option to this, yeah. this thing and so i think back then you know two years ago at this point i would like i just reloaded the save and was like no i can't do this like i literally am not built to do this but i ended up going with her this time and yeah it's like probably was one of the hardest encounters of the game for me thus far because you there's like she no cover <laughs> there, there's no cover she just she drives straight through the place and mm-hmm. so that there's no option for stealth so this was just like and they're they're the fucking snipers on the other side of the place and there's a lot of snipers a lot of snipers yeah it's just like i i even if there had been like like a status check option to, like you know you got like a lot of uh a lot of points into cool, which is, you know, more geared towards a stealth build anyway. Like, having the option to be like, okay, can we go in quietly? Like, can we do anything that might make this just not, like, the, the fucking hacker person that I am? Like, get doesn't, sniped. Doesn't her truck have a giant gun on it, or is that added later? Uh, no, that, that is there. That is. Okay, so, like, okay, you turn the lights off, you roll in quiet, and then... You set up the turret, you go loud, and you mow them all down. Done. That's the plan. Well, she doesn't have a plan. Just drives in. <laughs> no, she just drives in and wants to shoot people. And you know what? Like, I respect that to some yeah. degree. But, like, I spent a lot of time shooting at that sniper with a gun that, by the way, my stats said I could not use. It was like, you won't be able to wield this effectively. And I'm like, I don't know. Can it put bullets down range? Good. Let's use this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I did I did find a new love for the smart shotgun in this area. A, a gun that I never used in my original playthrough because once I used tech weapons and I was like, oh, this sucks. Why would I ever use a tech weapon? I'm just going to assume anything with like a prefix in front of it is a problem and not use it. But smart shotgun, if you have the connection, which I do already from another quest, uh, just like auto locks on people and then you just hit the button and it shoots buckshot and all the buckshot like homes in on enemies so it can like go That's around so cover dumb. and stuff. It's so good. It's it's borderline like the smart pistol from Titanfall 2. And I was like, <laughs> where the fuck have these guns been this entire right? game? This whips. This is so good. Uh, so I kind of like ran in there with a giant heavy machine gun that could like punch through uh, like terrain and stuff because guns in this game, they don't really tell you this, but you can absolutely like shoot through cover. It, it'll just do like reduced damage, but you can like punch through cover. And so I just used a heavy machine gun and peppered down the sniper and then just ran through with my smart shotgun and blasted everybody with my homing buckshot. It was great. I loved it. I threw so many grenades, like 12 grenades <laughs> easy. It was I don't know why video games try to teach you that grenades are a bad thing. Like grenades are a good thing. Grenades are very useful. Use your grenades. No, they're they're like potions in a Final Fantasy game. You no, save them until no, the very end them. of the game. You can <laughs> use those grenades. They exist for a reason. I threw a poison grenade. Nash died to poison. It's great. Um. Anyways, now we're done doing murder, and so. <laughs> We're like, okay, that's that's enough murder for the night. So let's go hand the stuff off to Boz. We go to a hotel and 
we we do this kind of cool thing where we're like standing behind the car door with a gun mm-hmm. at the ready uh which i thought was kind of fun and neat and i was i was enjoying that a little bit um but the deal goes off all right and we go in to have a drink at the the motel and uh yeah we get we get a little chill time we get a little chill time hang out um we we crash after a long day i kind of like how this ends up becoming like almost a road trip with pan am is what it feels yeah. like mm. um there's like a vibe to this quest line that really makes it feel like you should play them all in a sequence and feels really rewarding to play all in the road that I, I really dug compared to some of the other missions where we've been like okay you did a thing now wait 24 hours and come mm. back like there's there's a momentum to these missions that i really dug um and we can also, you know, Pan Am's like, oh, get us rooms for the night. And you could try to be like, what about uh, one room for the oh night? <laughs> and to, to Pan Am's credit, shoots V down. It's it's good. It's very good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're doing all right. But we got to we got to talk about Hellman. We got to take down Hellman. So Pan Am's going to sleep on it. She's going to consider uh you know what we're gonna do there uh we wake up to a relic malfunction and, and we go to meet pan am and that's where we get the line about v having uh screaming in the night and nightmares and stuff like that um but pan am's chill about it pan am's cool like that so we figure out our plan that she's basically going to emp a power station to knock the transport out which sounds like it rules yeah <laughs> like that's just a sick sick idea yeah Hey, great idea. I know we just murdered a bunch of people. Next step, okay. Murder. We're taking out a power plant. Um but like in the like 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 the jury rig kind of way. Like they're yeah. just gonna drive in and just like punch it with a bunch of wrenches until it EMPs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we can do basically this mission, we can do this mission pretty quick because it's honestly pretty short. Yeah. You hook up to Pan Am's turret system so you can like jack in and and do a turret sequence in a video game made in the year 2021 very (laughs) cool i respect that honestly you know not enough bring back the turret sequence but uh don't give them those ideas (laughs) (laughs) ken would you rather be honest question would you rather do a driving mission or a turret sequence what if we got rid of all forms of transportation in video games that are not automated. It's, it's all bullet trains. That's mm-hmm. it. You didn't mm-hmm. have to say in video games, Ken. <laughs> we mm-hmm. can just get mm-hmm. rid of. Now we're, we're all... thinking bigger. Time yep. to get rid of cars. <laughs> yep. um, anyways, this is not a revolutionary podcast. That's a different one. Um, <laughs> we uh, we jack into the turret and do a few test fires, and then go on what is just a very long and straightforward turret mission where we drive into an automated power plant and blow up some drones that seem very easy to blow up if you have a turret on your car and then literally just overload the power station and then drive back out and the whole time i'm thinking wow this is really easy to do why doesn't anyone do this (laughs) (laughs) the the security is literally like three flying robots once you shoot them down there's nothing else like amazon's got a bigger fleet of delivery drones and these military (laughs) things are rolling out and just getting shot down by a pea shooter um yeah so there was one really cool sequence i thought where 
Pan Am puts the car on auto drive and you're watching from the turret camera mm-hmm. as she's like punching this turret trying to get it to unjam. And I was like, okay, you know what? That that was kind of neat. That was that was a cool thing they did in the sequence. Like for for a game that has you like hacking into machines with cameras on it all the time, it I feel like the game doesn't do enough of these scenes where like it's really playing with perspective. Yeah, like I remember yeah. like the time yeah. like in the very beginning where like Vic was like fixing her optics and we saw like ourselves yes. in third person for like <sighs> one point and it's like those so are, those good. are neat neat little neat little pieces of cinematography there. I love that stuff. That's need more of that. Um, yeah, like it, that, like it really leans into the idea of like living in a cyberpunk world mm-hmm. where like you can just hook up to anything, and yeah, mm-hmm. like but they just they don't do enough of it. No. So we we do our thing and we set up our charges and we drive back out. And we wait for the transport, and that's the end of that first mission. And it it comes and goes real quick. Yeah, uh, like it, like I don't think that there's a natural break as far as like because most of the missions have a spot where they're like, okay, right. you can you you, if you want to come stuff, back later. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this one does that, so right. it really does just kind of go mm-hmm. into the next one, which is cool because I don't know too many missions that do that in this game. Right. Yeah, um, and I like it because I actually do kind of end up liking this last mission here a little bit more than the other ones. Um we see the transport coming finally and we hit the detonator and i like that it does the whole does not work right away and you <laughs> yeah. end up having to do the heath ledger as the joker thing of like <laughs> clicking the detonator and trying to figure out why it's not going and just kind of like hitting it over and over again like that's it's a fun bit it's always good like why is the detonator work and then it goes off and you're like oh got it um the transport kind of stumbles but does not go down and so pan am's like nah not getting away and pulls out a freaking surface to air missile launcher (laughs) and shoots it out of the sky and god this game does not deserve her no pan am rules in that moment it is maybe one of my favorite moments in the video game is is that transport getting away and Pan Am's being like not on my watch and just yeah, like fucking goes Metal off Gear screen. Solid too. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Uh like goes off screen and comes back with this giant missile launcher. <laughs> and like I wish there was a dialogue option to be like, where was that? <laughs> like, where were you keeping that? Look, you, you gotta have a plan B. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pan Am's just got like a Patriot missile launcher hanging out in the back of the, the Camaro just in case. Um so we take the transport down, uh and and it it's it's heading down, so we're driving after it, and this is a really good tense situation because we start to hear Mitch and Scorpion on the radio and they heard, you know, this thing go down and they start driving in to go and help him out because they're good, charitable, nice souls who are not from Night City. And we're trying to warn them that, hey, this is a corpo military transport. It's going to be guarded. Don't go in there. It's a bad time. And we can't get to them because the EMP knocked out. Apparently, only some of the communications in this area? Question mark? Because um, Mitch and Scorpion can talk to each other fine, but we can't talk to each other. And I still, to this day, don't understand why that distinction is made other than that I don't know the pulse knocked it out. I, I whatever. It's it's a thing. But uh we roll on in and we uh we we 
see that the crash site is is in a bad state and what's worse is that a bunch of the nomads uh have been either killed or taken captive uh it's a bad time down there and pan am's obviously very upset at this point uh and has also been shot in the process has a bullet wound a literal bullet wound um so we've got to sneak in and ken i gotta ask you as the stealth master did you get like did, were you able to sneak in at all are you supposed to be able to sneak in yeah. at all well i did at least okay i could not get around these robots for the life of me so i just murdered all of them you just shoot yeah, them. yeah. well yeah. you do that but like i also just like I hacked, I hacked a lot of optics to get to the uh the place yeah mm, mm. okay ken's just better at video games than us because like <laughs> i never I, is he because i find my solution of shoot it works pretty well, darn well <laughs> that's the thing it's like, i've been looking at like as i've been watching eric, me and eric play like just like the point distribution we have into various things and i'm like so hard into stealth that nobody ever sees yeah. me coming and I've got, like, the cyberware to, you know, accommodate that as well. Like, I've got, you know, hacknoptics is one thing, but I've also got this thing that turns people off of, um, like, if they, if they get into combat mode, like, I can turn them off of it. And, uh, like, like, oh, that's cool. Like that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's one of those things, like, you have to, like, really lean into a specialization, but, it, it, like, it works out in the end, and I've had, like, a lot Man. of really rewarding uh, stealth encounters in this game from it. It would be really cool if the game told you about any of that. <laughs> yeah. If I mean, I I feel like at some point I need to just like go searching through different stores and stuff yeah. like that and mm-hmm. find some things to like get some stuff because I I would I, also recommend I, like maybe resetting all your points and like actually like being like very cognizant of what you're putting shit in. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm trying to be a hacker, and the, my problem right now is on the main storyline, I'm not getting any stuff that is making it better for me to be a hacker. Like, I, I've not found any quick hacks or anything like that that can really, like, up what I'm doing. And so part of me wants to go just searching for some new quick hacks that I can install that can do better stuff. But then part of me also just wants to, like completely reset and just be a gunslinger v and just have like a bunch of points put into doing gun stuff but at the same time like that it feels like the most boring way to play because all the hacking stuff is like you can do this awesome stuff all all your things get so much cooler and spread so much faster and you do more things and then i look at the weapon tree and it's like do you want to reload five percent faster? And yeah. I'm like mm-hmm. no, that sounds yeah, dumb. Well, Why do I want to do that? Like, and that's that's the like I think that's the problem with a lot of the skill tree is that especially like in those initial skills a lot of it is like yeah three percent five percent whatever so it just feels like like they're like why bother so like i didn't even really bother exploring any of the other trees because it felt like my initial impression was such that like none of it was gonna matter anyway. Yeah, so, which sucks because. I'm learning now that there's like all this crazy shit you can do with stealth and that sounds way more fun than just like going and mm-hmm. uh, blasting's fun too though but yeah. I mean it's <laughs> it's effective but like yeah. I I also feel like it's been effective even though I'm not skilling into it yeah. and and that doesn't feel good when it's like oh turns out that the skill point upgrades in this game on the weapon side at least don't really matter or they're ones that are just like yeah, they're nice to have, but they're not like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like appealing. Like, like, I I had this problem a long time ago with a little video game y'all might have heard of called League of Legends, where a lot of stuff in that game for a long time was just like, 
oh, do something 10% better. And that yeah. was like, like what's the, the context for that? Yeah. <laughs> like, and what, what I are like the numbers. I like, well, it's not just numbers. It's that like, do the thing you already do a little bit better. Yeah. It doesn't feel, it feels like you got a cost of living raise, you know, <laughs> you, you didn't get a promotion. You just got bumped up to meet the rising floor of the game's difficulty. Right. So, really you're just playing the same game it's just all of the numbers inflated and yeah you're inflation's beating inflation. not fun yeah <laughs> like it video game inflation is not fun <laughs> and, uh i i don't like stuff like that and i think when a game is designed well they find ways to get you to use things differently or change the way you contextualize things or add interesting new nuances onto the rotations you're already doing i'm starting to veer into final fantasy talk now but uh, go on (laughs) um final fantasy is a great example where like when when you start as lancer you have a very basic rotation gradually they introduce ways to enhance that rotation by making choices about which one of those abilities you're enhancing and why Uh, positionals become important then you get a second string so now you have one rotation you go through and then a second one so one is your like buff and debuff rotation where you apply your self enhancing damage buff and also apply a dot on the enemy and then you do your other rotation which is where your raw damage numbers come from and so you're having to cycle between those and manage those cooldowns as you're doing battle and like cyberpunk is just i don't know shoot guns man (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just like i i don't have meaningful interactions with the weapons in this game and like to Ken's credit, I think you have cracked the code, which is that much like Watch Dogs 2, this game might be more interesting if you never touch a gun. Yeah. Where, like, it, it, it is more theoretically interesting if you completely ignore an entire function of this game's world. Mm-hmm. And, ugh, ugh. When this game is, at its core, a first-person shooter, it is an RPG FPS like it's not good that the s of that fps sucks and yeah. it is not it's it's functional it works but it's not exciting in any way yeah. compared to the other options you have so there are like there, there there's like the one moment that i remember was like when you get to play as johnny silverhand and you get his gun mm-hmm. and it's like the one time in the game where i'm like oh this feels awesome mm-hmm. yeah and, and it yeah. never happens again <laughs> Well, and, and cause there like, are cool guns. There are cool right. guns. I should it's say like, that. I like I've been harping on this. Like all season, yeah. like the the iconic weapons that you get through the end of like late quest lines, I think are all actually really fun. Um, yeah. Like yeah. Judy's mock shotgun, which has like a uh, a burner effect every time that you shoot something with it. Real good. Oh, like right. I, it's... the the final boss of this game, I shot once with that thing, and it was like, oh wow, his numbers went down real fast. Um, it's the but, it's the RPG framework on top of it that just does so little to compel you compared to other options that you have. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so whether we murder all the robots or stealth all the robots, um, we we find. Um. Oh. <laughs> oh, we had a branching point in this quest. Oh, great. <laughs> um. Mitch, Mitch was being held up, uh, and, and uh, Scorpion. Oh no! I, never mind. We do not have a branching point. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we find uh, Mitch inside the uh, thing being held up in, inside the transport being held up by the pilot, 
and we can uh we're, we're in kind of a standoff we can try to talk the pilot down a little bit but then ultimately uh mitch just elbows him and pan am blasts him uh, and that's when we find out that like uh every everyone has has died including scorpion and so i was i thought for a second that scorpion had lived through this for you but no mm-hmm. it's, he's he's gone yep. i'm pouring out for scorpion mm-hmm. yeah yeah our favorite mortal Kombat character here nope. um, <laughs> so so mitch starts to ask like what are you even doing like why are you even out here what the hell are you doing and we, we kind of tell him what's going on and we're trying to get you know this we're, we're trying to get this guy that was in the transport and uh pan ams decides to help us out is like look i'm gonna keep my word i'm gonna help you out um we scan the tire tracks and we hop on the atvs and we blast out past you know and and theoretically there is a story happening here but i was driving so fast that pan am never finished it um Mm -hmm. she got like three lines into it and then just ate my dust and uh (laughs) then i got into a firefight with some dudes in an airfield and then i like kept going and it's it's it was just a whole thing so i got no story here (laughs) okay um i mean she just tells us that like thorfinn was like one of the people that she was really close to at the yeah in the the clan that's great pan am but we got to shoot some people (laughs) (laughs) uh we finally get to a gas station where we assume that the kang tao folks have holed up and have called for an evac and so we've got to get in and take him out. Um, and, and this this is kind of interesting. So this is where my hacking did come into play. I took out the turrets initially. So I, I have a thing that lets me, like, take out all the turrets in a security system. Mm. And that worked really well. And then I just kind of murdered everybody. But uh, I also, like, snuck in and talked to the owner of the gas station, which is really fun. Uh, mm. He's, like, holed up <laughs> in a little panic room. And he's just like, yeah. I'm just, I'm hiding out here. I got no problem with you. I got no problem with them. Y'all just let me know when you're done. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you are living correctly. He in gets this. it. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to just hang out here. I ain't going to say shit. Just keep like, going. He's like, a, he's like the NPCs and free guy. That, like every time like somebody comes in and like just sort of shooting, they just kind of like drop their, like the, the security guard drops his belt and just like talks about his day to the people next to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, very good. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so we we head over to where Hellman is being held, and uh, he he and this other dude are just hanging out there. And I don't know what the heck happens with that one dude because he just kind of like puts his hands up and stays that way forever. Like he just kind of like stands there, like don't do anything, please, and doesn't even say anything. And you're just like, okay, whatever. And you punch Hellman and knock him out and extract him. And if you're like me and have murdered everybody, then there's you no need to sneak or anything. You're all good. <laughs> um, and so we, we get outside and Pan Am and the nomads are there. Uh, and we get this, this cool scene where a bunch of nomads show up and we meet Saul, the Aldecaldo's guy that we've heard about so much. Um, who is this person that Pan Am has, has supposedly had kind of a falling out with. Um, and he's kind of, you know, like, he, he thanks us for saving Mitch, but then, you know, kind of starts to brush Pan Am off as, like, you know, is blaming her for a lot of what happens. And you can try to, like, step in and say something, and he's like, hey, look, like, you you have no place in this matter. Like, this is not your discussion by and just mm. leaves and i was like you know what fair i wish more npcs and more video games did that 
Um, and and we end up uh, we get a free motorcycle out of all this. We get Scorpion's bike, which we put Hellman's on, and then we head back to the hotel. Um, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But I guess to wrap up the Nomad stuff, it it's fun. It's exciting. It's it's a lot of just blasting and momentum, and it really feels like it it goes in a way that other sections of this game don't mm-hmm. necessarily feel so connected and contiguous i like it a lot it's i don't know it's a good time yeah yeah I, I, yeah. yeah there is a there's a point i think where i i felt like this was the the thing that i wanted to pursue and like there's a bit in the the middle of this mission where like you're waiting for that ship to appear and there's just a line where it's just like it's quiet you know like just uh, the hum of the city it's gone i i like almost forgot that this existed it was like okay yeah yeah okay yeah this is good <laughs> this is this is like this is the good shit here you know um especially with the with the corpo background mm-hmm. again but like mm-hmm. if playing as a nomad may i don't know maybe it was just because i played through it a second time but like as a nomad it just, i don't think it would have hit the same mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. anyway the the differences of playing in certain life paths and all that yeah yeah we hop over to the hotel and we are interrogating hellman uh you know we've got a gun we're just kind of being like hey look you want to talk let's talk and he's like oh you must have an offer for me if you've if you've abducted me like well if, if you can pay more money than kang tao i'm all ears and stuff like that we're like nah there's there's no offer okay i've got keanu reeves pestering my brain neurons and we'd like to solve that problem please and, and hellman's very confused because we 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 fill him in on the heist and the relic and all that and and he's he's confused because he says that's not possible this this should not happen with the basic you know uh what it save your soul um secure your soul. something secure your soul tech he says this must be a new experimental version of the biochip and, and it must be unique and it's not just johnny's and graham that is doing this it's it's something about the biochip and it, it was apparently meant to be installed in a new body but not one that's totally alive and so really it's being applied in a function that no one ever really predicted should happen uh and if all that stuff hadn't happened all all that hadn't gone down no one would even know that this relic existed to begin with um so we let this dude jack into our system because it's the only way we're going to to learn more and he's he starts saying that our neural network is completely deteriorated uh, is no longer able to function independently uh from the chip and he starts to kind of note about like oh are you hearing johnny are you like speaking to Johnny? And then he's like, you're not actually talking to him. And that's just your personalities fusing. And you might've even started to notice that Johnny's, you know, attitude, his actions are influencing our decision-making and that this becomes an interesting idea, an interesting concept, right? That like, it, it, it almost lays out this paranoia of, am i changing subtly mm-hmm. and not even noticing it like i mean that is that was the terror that v noted way at the beginning uh of the game when talking to misty was like will i even know when it's happened like when the chip is taken over uh we've had this fear 
recited a few times and now here's Helvin saying like it's already started and you haven't even noticed it like that's that's good i like that part of of this storyline a lot um yeah especially when they start giving you like moments where you start to agree with johnny Mm -hmm. and you're like is it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. am i agreeing with him just because of like me or is like is it like me role-playing the story and I'm starting to realize like he's correct because his personality is starting to actually take over. Right. It's a really interesting idea that they play with the bit. I don't know. Like, I don't know how ultimately successful it is, but I think it's definitely the most interesting part of their dynamic. I mean, right. I think to some degree, like what Hellman's saying is a very like cold calculated one zeros way of looking at what's going on where I think the relationship you have with Johnny is obviously more complex than that. And it's going to be like, manifest in the conversation we're about to have with him but also like when Hellman says this shit to me it's the thing that I think is more invasive is when I see my body do something I did not make it do and something Johnny does like that I see Johnny doing I'm suddenly starting to mirror because like I think I am trying to like at least when I'm talking to him like I'm trying to like maintain a distance and like understanding where my worldview lies and where his his doesn't like yeah there could be common ground but you know, it, it does try and kind of, like, personify the idea of, like, you agreeing with this individual that you're speaking to manifesting and, like, you actually doing things in the world. And to me, that is kind of, like, and, you know, this might just be me having, like, a more optimistic view on it. It's just, like, me and a person that I'm stuck with right now finding common ground where to Hellman, it's just, like, you're going to naturally find that common ground because it's all you're going to know at some point. Yeah. Um, anyways... We, we get through all this and and we're like okay you know what what are we even going to do like how do we take care of all this stuff and he's like oh you could come with me to kang tao because uh you know you might not be able to be saved but that data is precious and stuff like that and we're like nah dude i'm not a guinea pig and <laughs> uh he's like oh well i can give you the blueprints for all of this um and and we we get the blueprints as goro comes in and is like, um, hmm, what's what's going on in here? And we, uh, you know, we, we we make good on our deal with with Goro, right? Like we got Hellman, we got the info we needed, and now uh, we we let Goro have some time. You know, we 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 let him on. Uh, just gonna chat. Yeah, it's just yeah. a talk. Just want to talk. Just want to talk. <laughs> and so we sit down outside. We have a major relic malfunction as we leave, like really bad. And we, we end up collapsing on this on this uh, chair outside of a table with Johnny and, and talking with him. And this is probably my favorite Johnny discussion in the game, I think. It's um, real good. It's it, it was the moment where I did not like the one in the uh, in, in the Voodoo Boys mission that we did. I thought it was just kind of like it was very antagonistic and standoffish. This is, if I wanted those pensive moments, this is one of those pensive moments I wanted where you were like sitting on these like plastic chairs at a table at a motel in the middle of nowhere and just kind of like looking out over the landscape and talking about everything that's happened and being like, um, you know, Oh, you know, you're, you're garbage Johnny, but also like, like you're, you're full of shit. You set off a nuke you knew that you were going to take lives 
And he's like, oh, like, I kill people, yeah, but so do you. Is scale your issue? And, and like, you get into some really good, like, meat and potatoes here of the, like, growing both animosity and friendship with Johnny that is developing. And it's it's really good. Uh, Ken is as the resident Johnny enjoyer here. <laughs> <laughs> I... I actually had, like, an issue with this scene because, like, when it comes to setting the tone of, like, how you're going to talk to each other, it also ties it to the action of, as soon as you sit down, V puts a cigarette in, in their mouth. And we talked, you know, in other episodes about how, like, V's autonomy of, like, things that he wants to do with his body is very important to me. And, like, it, it, I was frustrated because, like, the dialogue I wanted to pick was mutually inclusive with smoking. Which was mm. not what I wanted to do. So the I basically had to like have a moment of like role playing like what was more important to me that V maintained doing what he wanted with his own body and not being like Johnny and like not letting Johnny do things uh, that he didn't want or like so I ended up like it it's, it was one of those moments where I felt like my own role playing was having to like give in to what I had been given. And that mm. fr- that was frustrating to me. So like, I had, I did end up leading with like, I'm not gonna smoke and I'm gonna be angry with you. And but the con- the conversation does at least let you kind of like you know swing back in the other direction and like end on a more positive note. Yeah. But well, yeah. Th- there's a there's a line that like Johnny specifically says that I think like ties into all of this. He says the worst thing you can do to a human is rip their identity right. out of them. And that's yeah. what is happening. Like literally mm. in this moment that they give you a game design choice they're taking some of that choice away in a game where up until this point you can decide whether you but, want to smoke do you think that's smoke, intentional drink, as just... part of this point though like do you think this is like they're driving home the idea that you are being overwritten whether i think like so yeah right but it's not like that's not really the point that i'm making i'm talking about more how the game has shown that v has the capacity to choose what they do with an action like there is yes there is this element of being overwritten but at this point, there is still a chance to choose the action that you were doing, whether you're smoking or not smoking, and they directly link that to dialogue options that don't line up for me. Like, I'm saying, I don't want to smoke, but I also don't want to lash out at Johnny because I recognize that this is not his fault, and the game has just not given me that option. It's, you know, it's put this thing, I think, should have, have honestly, like, four choices, like, one that is, you know, not smoking, one, one that is smoking... But you should be able to, I think, handle it either way. Because I think this actually ends up having an effect on what it views your relationship with Johnny as. And it just does not feel like it's given me, like, the nuanced response that I want to give here. Because, yeah, like, because, yeah, the moment where you, like, the only option that tells you that you can't smoke, which is what Johnny has begged you to do up for this entire game up to this point is the only one where you're also yelling at him. Right. Uh, like you, you're making like a physical declaration, like, no, you suck. I don't want to do this. Whereas like, I feel like the, the moments where you do start to give in with the smoking is when it's like, yeah, like the, the, your identity is, is squishing together. Right. Just a and, little bit. And that's ultimately like what I kind of like told myself to like be comfortable with it because like I, in a perfect world, I would have not smoked, but also just like, I, I'm I'm at the point now where I recognize V and Johnny as both as victims of circumstance here, and I didn't want to have that antagonistic relationship with him anymore. And like I wanted to just like be able to talk to him like 
the way I had primarily up to this point, like been willing to hear him out, but never at the expense of who I was. And yeah. so I kind of like, it just leans to like the second the cigarette was in my mouth, that was when I had like a moment where I snapped and I was just like, okay, no, fuck you. Fuck everything these stand for. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and you know, and the conversation, like, again, like, it, it does eventually, like, let you kind of, like, bring it back to that more common ground, which I, which I was very appreciative of, because it felt like it, that was the only way for me to really maintain my role-playing throughout the entirety of the conversation. I, I just think it's an interesting choice there to be, like, at this point, you do not have an option. Like, and also, like, you, you talk about middle ground and, and hearing each other out, but, like, Johnny is overriding you and it's not necessarily even something that you are intentionally doing to each other. Like it is just happening. It is a process that has been started and so far has not there. There is not an option to stop it. Like it is going to happen one way or another. And that is a core part of Johnny's identity. That is, you know, maybe not like the deepest, most seated part of his soul, but it is something, a habit that he has. It's something that he thinks about as often as he thinks about breathing. So like, how you know having that moment where like v just does not have a choice like that is you are losing that part of you and i think that mm. is honestly really effective for me is is like no the game is trying to tell you that you are losing your choice right. you are losing your yeah. agency in this moment and there is nothing you can do about it and that that's a good motivator for the player yeah. it's like mm-hmm. okay first it was now I'm smoking cigarettes, what is tomorrow going to be? And that suddenly adds that little bit of urgency that I feel was missing from the game so far. Yeah. I mean, Johnny straight up says, you're in a war against entropy. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm. probably talking more largely about, like, society and, like, just the way that corporations have caused this entropy with, with human society, but... I mean, you are literally fighting a battle against entropy with yourself. So right. uh, having this moment where all of that just crystallizes. Again, sometimes they got it right, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I, th- I thought it was, a, like, yeah. Like, this this was, I think, the, the moment where I was like, okay, all, all right, Keanu. Like, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't bring it up earlier, but there's a point in this quest where like Keanu Reeves talk says something like you're becoming more like me, except without charisma and a massive cock. And I swear to God, <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think Keanu Reeves has ever said those words together before in his life. <laughs> Cause just, he just doesn't seem like that kind of guy, but also like, I feel like that whether intentional or not, like it, it feels like a front that like Johnny has built for himself. And then mm-hmm. this is the moment where we start to see, that facade start to crack and he's like actually like a real even though he's a construct like a real person mm-hmm. with with depth and uh i think you know like yeah it's and with and it's also, also but also like with principles that aren't just like platitudes yeah which like so a lot of the stuff that he talked about like when we were in the voodoo's voice section like you know it's this, these broad sweeping declarations about corporations and night city and all that fun yeah. shit but here like he's actually talking like we start talking about makoshi and the idea that like somebody's that there's like a collection of souls that Arasaka has that it can overwrite and mess with however it wants, and how he says like that is the the true horror of what these corporations do, and he recognizes that because of the circumstances that, we, that both characters are in, he is now doing that to you, and that is why it is like the utmost insult to him that he is being used in that way, 
And that's why he wants to stop it. And that's why, like, despite the fact that, like, I was getting angry at him for everything that, you know, <laughs> the game lets me do, like, we do leave on that common ground of, like, this can't happen because neither of us wants this and we are both being a victim of a system that Aerosaga has made and put into a fucking biochip. And while we still can, while we still have the ability to hypothetically separate and, you know, still, like, see the separations between ourselves, we need to work together to, to figure this out. I, I'm i glad you also brought up Keanu Reeves talking about his impressive cock. Because it's, that is... It's I'm, such a line. I, I brought it up. It came up the other day when I was talking to my friend who is currently playing Cyberpunk. And... Uh, they sent me that clip and and i was they said something like it's amazing that they paid to have keanu reeves in this video game and just used his first take on every line (laughs) and there there are moments in this game where it genuinely feels like they why did you pick keanu reeves for this role like you you pick the the cockiest asshole and and then just put like everyone's favorite sweetheart there was a movie coming out around this time that was about how perfect Keanu Reeves was. Like that was like a main. Oh uh, right. Uh, Always oh, the, be my the, baby. Um... I think it was. Um, where Keanu Reeves plays like the sudden boyfriend, and he's just like a perfect human being in every way, and like to suddenly be like, oh, but it, but in those moments, in these moments where suddenly he has those those shreds of humanity, you're like oh Keanu's doing all right this is working out pretty all right after all and then he's like impressive cock and you're like okay <laughs> it reminds me of uh, what was the Shakespearean movie he was in it was not Midsummer. Oh. was it Midsummer? it was not Midsummer Night's Dream it was something else I forget the name of it yeah. but it's Kenneth Branagh Denzel Washington and he plays the bad guy in it and like the the thing is like you you read about Keanu like he loves Shakespeare he's wanted to do Shakespeare his whole life dude could not have been more miscast you know <laughs> and it's just like you just you're just watching him do this line it's like dude you're trying so hard i love you but man this uh, is and, not your role yeah this is not you and it like there is definitely again conflicting identities there's that clash with him and this character that like at first it was really off-putting to me mm-hmm. but the more that i played and the more that like johnny lets his guard down i mm-hmm. feel like Keanu was like, like I I don't know if I could see any. Well, you can probably find someone else to play the character, but like him playing that character brings something to that character that I don't think other actors would have been able to do, especially if they played it more straight. You mm. know, like yeah. Uh, yeah, because he like there are later quest lines where like he 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 just like the guard is down, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and like having him even if it's like again unintentional try to sound cool um i think it works i don't know it's i liked it it. (laughs) i like him in the game it's also this case of like a daniel radcliffe or like emma watson situation where like now the character who was like you know had some illustrated portrayals before but now i feel like the visual identity of johnny silverhand is just rocker boy keanu reeves yeah and Mm -hmm. that's just going to be inextricable for years at this point like they they would have to find someone as charismatic and as like 
putting their own spin on it to ever separate Keanu from this character. But I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that Keanu's performance as Johnny is is particularly good. It's just fascinating. It's just yeah. watching it is a fucking trip every time. And I, yeah, that is that is cyberpunk at the end of the day, where it's a game that I think has so many problems. And yet it is so fascinating to continue watching all these decisions play out and and how they fit together and how they just slip and slide and zip around each other and and the oil and the water and, and, and then sometimes trip into doing something actually pretty profound yeah 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 it's it is god it's a fascinating game any closing thoughts here here david i love a hot mess <laughs> that's yeah. kind of that's kind of it love a i hot just mess. i love a hot mess and cyberpunk 2077 i don't know like there's something there you gotta look for it <laughs> You really do. And you got to put up with a lot of other crap. But I I do think that, like, the things it gets right, it gets really right. And that's cool. You know? Like, I just... It's a a game that was a victim of its own marketing and hype. Mm. Like, if, if you go in with the right expectations and, like, are okay with dealing with something that doesn't always work, I think you'll have a good time with it. I did. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, it's not... It's not a good game, <laughs> but it's a fascinating one. And that's, that's our thoughts on it. As always, yeah. we are Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast. We've covered many, many video games from Mass Effect and Dragon Age on through The Last of Us, Jade Empire, Final Fantasy X, and now Cyberpunk. We're here. We're doing it. As always, you can follow us at Normandy FM Show on Twitter. You can head over to patreon.com slash Normandy FM and back us there if you would like. Every little bit helps us keep things going. Uh, or just shout us out. Give us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Five stars only, or else Ken will be mm-hmm. mad at you. I can't handle that. Don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Trust me, I've been on the other end of it today even. It's not a good time. <laughs> and uh, at the lowest level on the on the patreon tiers you can join our backer discord where you can hang out and chat about the games we've had some lively conversation about cyberpunk recently it's been a good time so you should join in and hang out with the folks that are playing along with us and and checking the game out and having some discussions in our discord it's pretty cool uh at the five dollar tier you get these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them and we've been cooking right along, so you're getting them pretty early at this point. At the highest level, you get your name shouted out on every episode as we record them. And this episode, those names are Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Shane Erickson, Darius Pippins, and Genevieve Barba. Thank you all so much for contributing and helping us do all the things we do here at Normandy FM. Before we go, David, where can the folks at home find you? Oh, I know yeah. you're not like media these days, but yeah. if people want to follow the things you do and the work you do. Yeah, I realized that I didn't even like say what podcast I was from. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah, like people going to listen to this whole thing and go like, who's, who's this fucking guy? <laughs> no, I do, a, I do a podcast with uh, Susan Arn and Anthony John Agnello, two people I work with at Games Radar. It's called Continue Podcast. Uh, available on all uh, podcatchers. There are some podcasts that have similar names, but if you look for the one that looks like it was made with like a Save by the Bell logo, that's the one. <laughs> um, but no, we just we kind of talk about kind of whatever TV, movies, games. Uh, I try not to bring up Metal Gear Solid every episode. Mm. I fail most mm, times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you failed it's this just, episode, it was guy, a, dude. It's he's it's relevant. Tried, it's it's a Kojima is in this game. 
Yeah. He, 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 I didn't even realize he was until, cause I, I was listening to the heist episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah. yeah, I didn't even realize he was there. There he is. There's a the bridge baby too. Did you see the bridge baby? Yeah. I did not see the bridge. There's a bridge baby. There's a bridge baby in this game. There's a bridge baby in this game. I he's, you know, he's a, he's a prophet and uh, <laughs> should be listening. No, it, <laughs> I think he, but again, like he makes hot messes that are very interesting to me, both exactly. mechanically and so you know, it, it's like catnip. But Look yeah, so to the Death Stranding episode of Norm the FM. Mm. Yeah, if you want, if you want to talk about Death Stranding and slash or Metal Gear Solid Five, the Phantom Pain and how it's a finished video game. Oh, you get me on here. Ooh, it, yeah, I have thought. I have thoughts about that. Mm. Anyway, uh, continue podcast. We talk about it every two weeks. We have a Patreon as well, like every podcast uh, where we have a Discord too. So. Uh, patreon.com slash continue podcast uh i stream also twitch.tv slash continue podcast every now and then i started playing uh the fan translation of Akinkagua. oh which is I've a ps1 game to play that oh that dude good. It, it's not but it is <laughs> again it's a hot mess that is very fascinating um yeah yeah check it out uh and twitter at david robots where i tweet pictures of my cats about weird video game projects that i work on and also uh socialism i guess i don't know love that uh, <laughs> so that's me awesome well for david for ken for myself we'll see you next episode where we talk a little bit more about pan am we get we get into the romance of pan am yeah have fun with that and all the electric <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a very positive episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll see you there for that good time on the next episode of Normandy FM.